Seinfeld. The hot tub is over and has been for quite some time, but we are just getting started here on the Seinfeld Post Show. Recap a podcast about nothing. And now, here are your two bastards who love podcasting about Seinfeld. I'm Rob Sister. Here's Akiba Winokur. Akiba, how are you, you son of a bitch? I'm great, bastard. <laughs> yes, yes. We are ready to talk about the plight of Jean-Paul Jean-Paul and uh, the New York City Marathon. Is that what were the official race? Yeah. 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 I think that you get the rights to that. They don't have to make up like some fake marathon. Yeah. A little early in the year on October 19th, 1995 for the New York Marathon now. Yeah. I mean, the marathon is usually like, you know, the first Sunday in November. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know how well. Yeah, it's a little You can't line up everything perfectly. Uh, there aren't a lot of Chesters sitting at home and being like, I can't I can't watch this episode because the marathon is really not for two weeks. Yeah, I, just, I don't know if it was canon. And anyone outside New York, do they know when the New York City Marathon is? Probably not, not unless they're running it. I only know about it because we were talking about a know-it-alls in New York in early November, and people said, no, watch out for the marathon. Yeah, I used to. they used to always, like I would drive to Jets games every Sunday in the fall, you know, and they would always coincide with the marathon. So super, you'd have to like leave early and avoid the uh, traffic. Yes. I was never going to the marathon to, uh, you know, to run it. I'm looking at a uh, New York Times article from October 31st uh, of 2011. And uh, they talk about in 1995, one year after one of the hottest races, uh, New York followed with a brutally cold, wet and windy day for the coldest of the New York City marathons. How about that? But don't you want? Do you want a cold marathon? Like as long as it's not freezing, where you have to wear. Oh, you don't want it so cold that you're gonna dump hot tea on your head, right? Yeah, I, I do wonder what the ideal marathon temperature is. Okay, I'm sure that we have a uh, cornucopia of listeners that could tell us, and it looks like that the New York City Marathon was on November 12th, uh, 1995. That's late, I think. Yeah, very late, very late. Uh, so there you go. So that's a uh, <laughs> for for those fact checkers out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly 20 years to the day before the birth of my son, Anthony. There you go. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. You think he's going to be a marathon runner? No, I do not. Can you tell who the athlete is between your two sons? Because like, usually it's one is a good athlete and one is kind of, you know, not, not interested in playing sports. Like put, they put him in deep left field. My two sons, Dominic and Anthony, while I don't know if marathon runner is what he's going to be cut out for, uh, he is uh, very, uh, very strong. Very uh, in, insane baby strength for Ooh, Anthony. That's like old man strength, but baby strength. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, but he's not long and lean. Uh, but so he's, he, uh, he's going to be like a wrestler. Yeah, I think so. He's a grappler. <laughs> All right. Would, would, you, would you be proud if your kid was in the WWE? I mean, sure. I mean, he seems very uh, successful. I mean, is he like a loser? Is he like a jobber? I mean, you don't get to choose. <laughs> everyone's a jobber at some point basically unless you're one of the top guys i guess so so uh, i mean uh, that i would think be fun that would be like a fun you know first of all if you you know one of the the frustrating what about things the about, like, cte keeve yeah that's a problem yeah it's a problem yeah yeah you want to be like in a tag team but not one of those guys who wrestle a lot also all the right. better you are the less they actually make you get in the ring yeah, yeah. So I think that uh, announcer at the WWE, I think, is a much safer profession. Yeah, that that's a, that would be a good gig for you, I think. I think so. All right. Uh, so let's get back on track here, talking about the hot tub. Of course, uh, this is with uh, Jean Paul. Jean Paul coming in to race in the New York City Marathon. George is getting frustrated. 
according to Mr. Wilhelm, who thinks that George is really completely stressed out. And then we have Kramer, who has suddenly discovered the hot tub. Keeve, are you a big hot tub guy? I know you're a treadmill guy. Are you a hot tub guy, too? No, definitely not. Yeah. Not a hot tub guy at all. Why? Are you a hot tub guy? I think I would like to be a hot tub guy. I really do not have access to a hot tub very often. Yeah, so which, if you don't have a hot tub in your house, like most people don't, mm-hmm. then, you know, when are you seeing a hot tub? Like in some public place where it's probably filled with bacteria? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'm never like, ooh, I really need to get into that hot tub. <laughs> yeah, but I'll risk it. I'll risk it. I'll go in the hot tub. When I was in Reno, uh, I went in the hot tub by myself. The problem is I don't want to be in the hot tub with any other strangers. Like I, yeah, I don't. But you get in by yourself. What? It's very awkward because some stranger, and it's never like, "Ooh, this super attractive lady just walked yeah, in the hot tub." Heidi it's always Klum like, just got in this hot tub. It's like an eighty-five-year-old guy who, like, the bubbles start popping on the hot tub yeah. the second he walks in. Joel Klum just got in the hot tub. <laughs> Heidi's great, creepy great uncle Joel. Yeah, <laughs> most most German ladies have uncles named Joel. I think it would be like Lars Klum, probably Lars Klum. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's uh, so then it's like if you leave, you're clearly leaving because they just walked in. No, so you I don't be care. polite and you stay. I don't care. But yeah, I guess it's a stranger. You could just leave. Yeah, but I'm it's out. never. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a hot tub guy. I'm out. Even if it was an attractive woman. What's what? What am I going to talk about? No, I, no, 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 nothing. It's almost nothing, even worse. It's not like it is what worse. am I saying? Like, then your wife walks by is like, ooh, no, yeah, like I swear I was in the hot yeah, tub. What am I going to make small talk? She wants to talk to me. Stop. All right. So. <laughs> Before we get into talking about the hot tub and everything going on there uh, in Kramer's apartment, so uh, what's what's been going on, uh, Keeve? I've been to Chicago since the last time we talked. Yeah, this is the longest uh, we've gone without speaking probably in like two years. Mm, yeah, it's been about 10 days since we've recorded our last podcast. Uh, yeah, we're on time. But yeah, I think uh, it's it's been a little while. I, I I don't want to say I missed you, but it is, it's weird, like, when we don't speak for 10 days. Yeah. That's an ideal time. Like, I do think it's an ideal relationship. Like, if I had to speak to my wife every 10th day, I feel like we'd get along much better. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. Even I if think, it was scheduled. I think we also uh, put the reverse jinx on Daniel Murphy, uh, talking about how he is somebody that we wouldn't want to have on our team on the last podcast. Yes, I, you know, everything we've ever said about <laughs> sports on this podcast has been not just wrong, but the exact opposite of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so much Sean Falconer or, or someone should really come up with like, so maybe someone who, who's new and is binging the podcast should really come up with like all of our incredibly wrong sports takes. <laughs> yeah. Mostly focused on the Mets and the Jets. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, we should really, we should really like reverse jinx. Like now, we should do like Daniel Murphy probably going to win the MVP. Yeah, uh, no, the, know, Mets the Mets did make sure going to miss the playoffs. They made a big mistake not signing him to a three-year contract. I think that's fair to say at this point. Yeah, but we weren't saying that then. We were ha- we were fine to see him go. No, but now we're saying it. Yeah, all of our <laughs> Australian listeners are pressing the thirty seconds forward button right now. <laughs> yeah, when will it be over? All right. Uh, any news or any other items you want to get to before we talk about Hot Tub? I'll give you a quick news item. Quick news item. So I, there's, a, there's a different game that's really been in the uh, news this week. but there's, Pokemon uh, Go? Yeah, po- which have you downloaded that yet? I downloaded it, but I had not signed up yet. I was going to, and then they wanted my Gmail password, and I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want to do this. And then, you don't have a backup Gmail? Like, I have a backup Gmail for stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't think about a backup Gmail. You know, I had like an old work Gmail that I don't use anymore, like my old teacher Gmail that I'd have my kids email me on. Right. And so that's, I use that for everything. I'll, I'll give you the password. I don't care. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, give me your password for backup Gmail so I could go play Pokemon. Yeah. But then I don't know. Is it going to be like, uh, 
then do I get your points or do you get the points? How does it work? I don't know. And then do people like recognize me like, oh, here comes Wheels Wieneker. Nah, it doesn't even have my real name. <laughs> the, the, um, but, so anyway, so the video game that this artist is working on is a 2D Seinfeld game. Okay. Uh, and you can't play it yet, but it has, uh, you know, if you click on it here on uh, Kotaku, Kotoku, the video game website. It has, Why like, only 2Ds? I, I feel like 3D is expensive. 2D Seinfeld game? Is that what we're looking at? Yeah. So anyway, it has, uh, you know, it's not, there's just a prototype I see here, but you could be Jerry, George. George, they make George to look like a bold Josh Wiggler, actually. Hmm. The George doesn't really look that much like George. Kramer yes. looks a lot like Kramer. And, and where, what is this going to be on? I don't know. The guy just like put out the prototype for it. But I, I do think there was never really. What is this for Game Boy? Do they still make Game Boy? <laughs> I don't know. We're, see, we're like the two. We know very little about gaming. This like, is like the 8 need... bit Seinfeld game that's coming out. But for what? <laughs> I don't know. He's just making the game. I don't know. Most games are on the computer now, right? Or an app. Yes. I don't, I don't, he hasn't made it. But anyway, I, there was, was never really a Seinfeld game. I do mm. think you could. Ma- I mean, now, probably not. Like, the iron is not hot. Probably not the time to strike now. Like, maybe in 1997 would have been the ideal time to have a Seinfeld game. But And once that iron gets very hot. You have to be very careful with handling it. You don't want to potentially lose your career as a hand model. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Someone actually, uh, I, not all of our listeners are Survivor people, but uh, I was at someone's house this weekend. Whoa. And they busted out the Survivor board game. Yes. And did you play uh, it? Uh, we opened it, and then we, I, don't, I just realized now we never got around to playing it. Oh, boy. Well, uh, spoiler alert, I don't think it's actually that fun. No, I, it looked terrible, but I, I, it's so weird. Like, we got it out. I just thought of it now. Hey, we never played that game. It was just like sitting on the table all day. <laughs> <laughs> I think you dodged a bullet there, Wheels. You're probably right. Anyway, right. Uh, that's the news for the week. All right, there you go. All right, let's get into talking about the episode, and let's talk about the hot tub. So let's go back to October 19th, 1995, the day before my birthday, Eve. Oh, your birthday is the 20th of October? Yes, yes. Oh, all right. I'll make a note of that. Shared with Keith Hernandez who is a uh, Seinfeld guest star, and also with Mickey Mantle mentioned in this episode. Yeah, this very episode, the very end. Yeah. Okay, so season seven, episode five, written by Cavett and Robin. Uh, is this a first from Greg Cavett and Andy Robin? Uh, yeah, I, they wrote The Hot Tub, uh, and later this season they write uh, The Caddy. Um, but yeah, they had, not, they had not written anything before this. I do think Robin was one of these guys who made it up from the minor league. Mm. No, they wrote the Jimmy. Excuse me. They're, they they wrote the Jimmy before this. But I do think Robin was one of these guys who was like, if you watch the credits afterwards, I do think he was originally maybe like lower down the totem pole. There's yeah. a couple people later in the show who get an episode who were like maybe the writer's assistant or yeah. some sort of like PA even. I think Darren Henry, who writes the Van Buren Boys, is definitely, if you watch the credits, he's definitely low down there. Yeah, and just according to Wikipedia also, so uh, you mentioned a couple of these episodes, but also... Uh, in season eight, the fatigues, the comeback, the nap, and then in season nine, the slicer, the frogger, and the Puerto Rican Day parade. A every writer, every writer got uh, with got many fathers. Credit. Yes, yes. What they, I think they just wanted everyone to get one more paycheck. <laughs> well, every single guy on staff. Even they had people come back who weren't even on the show anymore who got credits for the last few episodes. Yeah. Well, now people are saying, "Get that off my IMDb." Uh, probably yeah, not. Probably not. They yeah, like the checks. Yeah, but not off. But they're not telling their agent to like cut. You know, stop the checks. They're probably getting a. A solid check every single time that episode airs. 
every okay. single one of those guys. Probably expensive to air the Puerto Rican Day Parade. That's why <laughs> they don't air it. It's not people think it's for the racism. It's actually because there's to too many like writers. Fifteen writers, their WGA minimum. <laughs> yeah, they were lucky that they said, "Okay, well, uh, we'll let you have all the writers on an episode. But it has to be the most controversial episode." Yeah, good thing it wasn't the soup Nazi. They'd be broke. <laughs> All right, so we get to Jerry's stand-up here, and he talks about the silver medal award winner and how, okay, you train all this time to be in the Olympics, and you get the silver medal, and you lost by a nanosecond. Now, not mentioned here, Jerry actually dated a silver medalist earlier in the run of Seinfeld. Uh, yes, and not, you know, I don't know where the canon of the stand-up works with the canon of the show. Yeah, but uh, I believe her name was... Uh, Katia, the gymnast. That's right. Yes. Very uh, she, flexible. <laughs> very flexible. She was a silver medalist. And, um, you know, Jerry says it sucks to be second place in the Olympics. Yeah, but not, not, a, not for the red, white, and blue. She was not a silver medalist. No, no. You know, but I never feel bad. Do you feel bad for the silver medalist? No. I don't feel bad for the silver medalist. feel My, bad for the fourth place. Yes, the fourth final. place person is really the ultimate. I was watching, because I'm sad and I have nothing better to do, I was watching the Olympic trials the last few weeks, the track and field and the swimming. And with my kids, I was watching the gymnastics. And uh, you feel for the guy like this. There was actually a story just today. So in the hurdles, the 400 meter hurdles, which is a race. And then you just 10 times you jump over the, the mm-hmm. hurdle every 40 meters. The, the, the favorite was winning the entire time. And then I think his name is Johnny Dutch, which is a great name, by the way. Great sports name, Good Johnny name. Dutch. Yeah. And then on the 10th and final hurdle, he clips it just so slightly. Like, it would actually have been better if it was like a heavy clip because he clips it. And then he kind of stumbles and is like stuck. And he has a massive lead. But, he, but between the last hurdle and the final, just like, you know, a few strides, four or five people pass him. And so he went from being the favorite and I think the Olympic favorite even. Because mm-hmm. the, the three people who, who, you know, who come in first in the – you can only send three people from each country. So, yeah. the, you know, he comes in fifth, and, and he doesn't make the Olympics. And so, I, like, it was just like a little blurb that he retired. Oh, my God. And it's like literally the difference between him being the Olympic favorite because there's no money in these sports unless you're the best guy. And mm-hmm. if you don't go to the Olympics, even if you have the fastest time, like, during the year – who cares? Like, the only thing that matters for these sports is the Olympics. And right? what do you make the money in? Doing, like, personal appearances after? If you win a, first of all, if you win a gold medal, I think uh, the Olympic Committee gives you, like, 60 grand or 70 grand or something. And then... Uh, Where does that come can, from? Our tax dollars? I, I actually think the United States is the only... I could be wrong. Is the only country that doesn't... Uh, so, like, there's no minister of sport in the United States, and I think every other country has one. Like, we're the only country that has, like, a separation between church and stadium. <laughs> So you know, who's, or st- who's paying stadium. the money? Is that is it is it tax money? No, I think it comes. I think some of it comes from probably the, the Olympic TV money. I had to, if I had to guess. Okay, because right. that's billions of dollars. Fine. Um, Fine. and and so, but anyway, the point is like he's literally two feet away from probably winning a gold medal in the Olympics, and he has to retire because like, what's he going to do for the next three years? Like, there's no money in it. Mm-hmm. You know, he has no like. You don't have a sponsor if you don't make the Olympics. Like. Also, you know, if if you're going to run in the Olympics, Nike will give you money and a lot of free clothing, right? Because they want your, you know, they want you to have all the Nike stuff on. And but anyway, the you know the difference between so I, to me, the silver medal is absurd. Like the silver medal is amazing. If I want a silver medal, I would never take it off for the rest of my life. Right? Because they give you medals and awards for second place and third place, and they and they count those. So I feel like that you know 
if it's like a, if it's gold or go home, then, you know, I guess that that's probably why those people are Olympic champions and we're podcasting about a 23 year old TV show. Yeah, but I think for, right fourth place awful. And then the guy who just misses the Olympics altogether, because at least like that guy can now like he's retiring. And even though he was like once the best in the world or something, he can't even say he was an Olympian. Yeah. You know. The guy, even the guy who comes from like some country that just gets in because they let every country have one runner, that guy is in the Olympics, even though this guy could run the, the circles around him on the track. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the episode and let's pick it up at Monks, where Jerry, Elaine, and George are hanging out. Uh, we have really uh, a lot of exploring the Jay Peterman catalog here in this episode. And Elaine is having some trouble writing copy about a pair of shoes that she has to write about for the catalog. Uh, yeah, and, you know, it's it's one of these weird stories that looks like it's going nowhere and actually has a pretty good resolution. Okay. Well, we can talk about that more as we get to it. Meanwhile, also, you know, we have a lot of the exposition being set up, and, and especially in these episodes that are, like, really complicated plots. There's a lot of, like, track that's being laid in these, like, first monk scenes. No pun intended for the marathon running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, train track uh, that's being laid out. So we end up finding out that George has to uh, get back to work. He doesn't have that much to do even after getting Mr. Morgan's job, but he has to look like he's annoyed all the time. Keeves, do you subscribe to this? I do think, yeah. I, you know, I have, I did have once have a boss who would like always come in to check on me. Yeah. And I do think the, like, even though I was always busy at that job, I, I felt like I don't always look busy. So I think I, I did work on the, always be like looking very intently at something mm -hmm. even if even if you're staring in the space kind of yes and they'll just think you're super busy and they won't even bother you yeah no i agree with that is it possible that my wife is doing this that my wife is concerned that maybe she's uh just trying to look annoyed all the time no i mean i think she's just annoyed but you know you have it good because you you uh you know you have your own uh studio Domain. on a separate floor yeah Yes, I sort of like I'll be working for an hour. Nobody knocks in my house, and I, I, the, I, I have a key. I have like a weird door where I have like a key, but I lost the key and I never really replaced it. So my door is closed but not locked, and nobody's ever knocked in the history of my family. Like they just mm -hmm. come in whenever they want, fifty times a day. So I have this weird thing where like I'll be like slaving on something. I'll be like working for three hours, and then the second I like stop and like check Twitter for a second. Everyone in my family comes in. It's like, oh, you, you, and they assume I was on Twitter for the last three hours. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's, it is important to look busy. Got to look busy. So George says that Mr. Wilhelm gave him a stress doll recently because he's so concerned about him. Keeve, did you happen to watch the deleted scene with the stress doll? Yeah, very strange. It really is bizarre. One of the most absurd deleted scenes in the history of the show. Yeah, like, we always say deleted for a reason. But sometimes it's like some a lot of times the deleted scenes are good on paper and they're just the tone of them is really off. Mm hmm. Yeah. In that scene, which also like they didn't even finish like coloring it in and stuff like there's a green right. They completely the reshot it. It was like this is not working. Um. The so that it's almost like a rough draft that scene. Mm hmm. Um. Like really that's rough. Like a walkthrough. I don't even know if they did a walkthrough, but that's almost like a walkthrough scene. Um. That that scene should never have been written. Like there was nothing positive in that whole scene. 
for the uninitiated who have not seen this deleted scene. So the setup is it's the same scene that's uh, later on in the episode where Wilhelm is uh, feeling like that George needs to go and meet with the executives from the Astros. And so in this alternate version of the scene, Elaine and Jean-Paul Jean-Paul have come to Yankee Stadium really for some unknown reason. But there's really no good reason in the plot why Jean-Paul Jean-Paul needed to come to George's office at Yankee Stadium. Right. That's another reason why it had to be cut because you almost need another scene or another tag in a scene we already have to show you just why he's winding up there. Like it's there's no there's no rhyme or reason for it. You're right. Right. And we get the piece of information early on here that Jean-Paul Jean-Paul is from Trinidad and Tobago. And that when he comes into George's office and he spots the stress doll on the desk, that he immediately goes into uh, a panic and says, this is a voodoo doll. This is a voodoo doll. I have to kill it. And he gets a pair of scissors out and says, this is evil. And he cuts the head off of the voodoo doll. Now, I am no voodoo expert, Keeve, but yeah. isn't if there is a voodoo doll that cutting the head off is a bad idea, right? Oh, that's the last thing you want to do. You want to, like, pet the voodoo doll. The voodoo doll is getting right back at you. Like, hey, First give of- me this. Let me go put this in a nice, safe place. Yeah, it's insane because I would be, if I was afraid of voodoo, I would be petrified to cut the head off. Like, you're going to come in the next day. The head's going to be back on. Yeah. And it's coming for blood f- from you. Coming for you. And then, so the stress ball is filled with, like, sand, which ends up going flying. And then Jean-Paul Jean-Paul is like, Oh, wait, what is this? Oh, and George's like, you see, it's not a voodoo doll. It's a stress doll. Like, oh, okay. Like, how, what is a voodoo doll filled with that Jean-Paul Jean-Paul immediately says, like, oh, this is not the inside of a voodoo doll. Uh, Yeah, I I feel like he was very quick to write it off. (laughs) Like, (laughs) oh. That's what he wants to think. He wants to think the voodoo doll is not coming from. This isn't filled with human blood. Well, who do you think, what do you think made... Kramer's, uh, you know, fuse blow. I think it was the voodoo doll. <laughs> you think it was Jean-Paul Jean-Paul uh, messing with voodoo? Oh, that's yes. interesting. And then Mr. Wilhelm eventually comes in and sees that the stress doll has been, had the head is cut off and the, like the sand is everywhere. And he thinks that this is another reason why George is so stressed out. And nobody really seems to notice that Jean-Paul Jean-Paul is like sneaking out the door with like a pair of scissors. Yeah, I would argue... Uh, it's probably one of the five worst scenes of the sh- like definitely one of the, one of the five worst deleted scenes maybe one of the five worst scenes we've had in the show it's really bizarre and uh, I think it's probably offensive in some way uh, for the people from uh, Trinidad and Tobago uh, you know it, it was just very ill-conceived and a good call to cut it yeah no it definitely probably I mean I, I'm googling now and it does seem like voodoo is a part of their culture. I think it's called O-B-E-A-H, O-B. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely just assuming that every single person from Trinidad and Tobago is uh, is into voodoo is, is yeah, it's it's worth cutting. Well, he's very much not into voodoo. Well, is he into it? Are you into voodoo if you like it or if you believe in it? Mm. Well, I think he believes in it, but he seems very much against it. He's an anti-voodoo. anti-voodoo. I think everyone's anti-voodoo. Isn't voodoo by definition bad? I think people are pro-voodoo. No, nobody's pro voodoo. Not even people that do voodoo. Yeah, the voodoo doctors are pro voodoo. Yeah, but not for the themselves. They don't want to be voodoo. voodoo. They want to voodoo others. Yeah, oh. I think there is there is a pro voodoo contingent. 
All right. If you're pro voodoo, write in and let us know. Yeah, and I don't want to offend the pro voodoo crowd. No, because they could put a head. Well, I don't mind defending the pro voodoo crowd. I don't want to offend the voodoo doctors. Yes, because the pro voodoo crowd can't do anything about it. What about the like, voodoo I'm a lawyers? Sports fan, but I can't dunk on you. You know, mm-hmm. sure. But the the voodoo doctors, they're they're gonna you know dunk on us. <laughs> All right. All right. More on voodoo to come. Anyway, so we have that whole storyline set up. And then we also find out that Elaine is having Jean-Paul Jean-Paul come and stay at her house, that he is a marathon runner who is famous for oversleeping at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. There was a manuscript that was written about him. And still, I do not understand why in the world is... Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul staying at Elaine's house. It's like an adopt-a-marathoner program, it sounds like, right? It's so absurd. Nothing makes the sense. The elite marathon runners must, must get a hotel. Mm-hmm. Like the top 100 guys. They, they must put them up somewhere. Who does? New York City? Yeah, the, the marathon Our itself. tax dollars? Must, it's a private event. Sorry, trying to uh, <laughs> get all of the tax money out of... Uh... What, you're obsessed with this? Ta- you're, who are you, like uh, Bernie Sanders all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, so, yeah, Elaine has to have Mr. Jean-Paul Jean-Paul stay at her apartment. And really, it's um, uh, to me, I I had a hard time getting over this the whole episode. I don't get it. Uh, First of all, what do you what's your opinion on people who have the same first name and last name? I mean, it's certainly unusual. I like it. I mean, I don't know if like Akiva Akiva works for me. Or Rob Rob would work for you, but mm-hmm. I do think the Jets briefly once had a player named Allen Allen. Yeah. And I feel like that's a decent name. Yeah. Was he a safety? I think it was one of these wide receivers who got cut like the first day at camp. I'm getting confused with Antonio Allen. Yeah, he's a safety, but his <laughs> name is Antonio Allen. Yes. It's not Antonio. Although Antonio Antonio is not a bad name. Yeah. It's pretty good. Now we'll start calling Antonio Mazzaro Antonio Antonio. <laughs> Double down on Antonio. All right. So uh, this is the first race in three years now for Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. I and mean, what has Jean-Paul Jean-Paul been doing? I mean, I'm telling you, he, he's probably like the Johnny Dutch guy. He probably like took a job at Starbucks or Johnny something. Johnny Football, more like. Well, oh, I hope he was not. That's why, that's why he's always oversleeping. Mm-hmm. Johnny yeah. Football's never heard an alarm clock in his life. More to this story. Is it possible that somebody put a voodoo hex on Jean-Paul Jean-Paul, and that's why he missed the race? The first one? Yes. Very possible. I, and his whole career seems to be cursed. I mean, is it canon that Jean-Paul Jean-Paul hates voodoo? You mean because it's in the deleted scenes? It's a good question. It's mm-hmm. definitely, it's never even come, it doesn't, it's not mentioned at all. Yeah. In the, I, I don't think it's canon. Okay. And then also one other piece of information gets set up in this scene that uh, a woman walks in, Judy, uh, she's pushing a baby carriage and she lives in Elaine's building and Elaine tells Jerry, hey, just so you know, that woman in my building, uh, Jerry says, uh, you know, I didn't know she was married. And she says, no, the guy just took off. And so you can't say anything to anybody. Wait, so, okay, so Jerry says this woman in my building. Mm-hmm. But don't we see her in Elaine's building? Yeah, no, in uh, Elaine's building, yeah. Yeah, but I think he does say in my building. Okay, uh, let's right? see. Taking a look, uh, I always have the uh, the script website. Oh, no, he open. says I've seen her in your building. Okay. Yes, I've seen her in your I, building. I just made the same note originally, and then I'm like, wait, why'd they mess up the billings? But yeah, it, it's just not clear when Jerry says it. Okay. All right, so uh, that will come into the story later on. Okay, so we see George in his office at Yankee Stadium, and that he is chasing a fly around. Wilhelm comes in and gives him some papers, and then he's just like bashing the file against the wall, trying to kill a fly, and Wilhelm is very concerned. 
I mean, it's you know, he gets mostly sympathy from Wilhelm for this. I, I do think, uh, you know, Wilhelm. But like, what does Wilhelm possibly think he's doing? He's got nothing to do. Mm. I don't know. He seems like he's annoyed and he has to do all of Mr. Morgan's job. So maybe Wilhelm doesn't even know what Mr. Morgan did. Uh, that's true. Yeah. You, ideally, you want your boss not to know what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, Mr. Morgan was just like showing up late at the office. Like he might have had an easy job, Mr. Morgan. He was just like sleeping in every day. And then Wilhelm was like, where is that slacker, uh, Mr. Morgan? And now George is at least in the office most of the time, other than when he's at the coffee shop. Or George has like months or years of work that Morgan didn't do to make up with now. <laughs> I guess so. Perhaps. But George says the job actually isn't that bad during the offseason. Yeah, I mean, there's no travel going on. I, I, he, he's lucky he doesn't get fired every offseason. Yes. Although by October 19, 19, 1995, I believe the Yankees were out of the playoffs by this point, And nobody at Yankee Stadium seems too upset about this. No, it does, doesn't. You know, it's not. There's such a like uh, the turnover for the episode is long enough that they couldn't make a note that they lost to the Mariners. Yes. All right. So uh, we go back to Jerry's apartment. We see George and Jerry and we're getting the retelling of Jean Paul Jean Paul. And uh, George bets that the AM PM got mixed up on the alarm clock. Keeve. Have you ever mixed up the AM PM? Well, I mean, first of all, now it would be a phone. I don't know. I don't I haven't even seen an alarm clock in years, but mm. it is it is always a concern of mine. The AM yeah. PM. I, I I have messed it up a couple times. I don't know if I've ever like missed something because of it, but I also if I set my phone alarm, I set like four. Yeah. So like usually one of them will accidentally you know not flip over to the to the AM. Oh, I've definitely done the AM PM. Yeah, I, I feel like when you're setting an alarm, it's almost always for the AM. Hmm. Sure, sure. You say that they shouldn't even have an alarm, a PM on the alarm. Yeah, you should have to. There should be a separate thing like called reminders. Because if you're if you have an alarm for the if you have it's a PM, it's like remember you have a doctor's appointment at five fifteen. That should be a totally separate app almost. That's interesting. Well, on the actual alarm clock, you make a really good point. Like the PM should be like uh, like a switch that's all the way like underneath the thing where you would never accidentally do it. It's just always AM. Yeah, you know, a lot of countries other than the U.S. also have army time, which you'll never mix up. It's just then you have to be good at math. Mm-hmm. You have to do like the 12 plus 9 or at 21 o'clock. What's that? 9 o'clock. And then yeah. sometimes you do the math wrong. Yeah. This is actually a brilliant alarm clock idea of the always a.m. alarm clock. What about the nappers out there? No, you don't need an alarm for a nap. So if you take a nap, it's just all bets are off. You could wake up at 8 o'clock at night. Too bad. Are people setting an alarm clock for a nap? You do that on your phone. Well, I thought we we're talking about phone alarms at this no, point. No, this is a stand. This is a large because the phone alarm sometimes you don't hear it. It could be on vibrate. That's another yes. thing that you you know, like oh, I didn't hear my alarm. It was on vibrate. Yeah, that happens all the time. I I you know I will take like a very quick nap sometimes during the day, and uh, I will set my computer alarm. I usually I won't go to bed because if I go to bed, that's like a four hour. Yeah, I think sleep. we talked about this on the last episode. Yeah, but I so I'll sit. I'll I'll nap in my chair. And I'll, I'll like put the, the, the alarm really high. But you don't want to put it too high because I don't want the other people in the house to know I'm napping mm-hmm. when the alarm yeah. goes off. Yeah, no, that's huge. So it's like yeah, if you can get the nap and then no one knows you took the nap, that's really a double win. Now, Jerry thinks that his money's on the snooze. He thinks he hit the snooze for an extra five and it never came back on. Is that a thing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, he probably just never heard it. But I do think you could uh, you know, the snooze sometimes is faulty. Faulty okay. snooze. Faulty snooze. So here comes Kramer, and he comes in, and he says that he does not believe in alarm clocks. He doesn't trust them. He uses his mental alarm. Now, this does coincide with Kramer telling Elaine recently that he doesn't wear a watch. He has an internal clock. 
Uh, yes, and and that was proven to be wrong in in that episode. You know, where he would just guess the time and be off by like five hours. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I think actually he might have said in that episode that he uses the sun to tell time. He uses the sun, and then what do you do at night? Yeah, that's in the engagement. And I think uh, this is a, too similar of a plot line almost. Too similar of a plot line. And so uh, Kramer says that he uses his body clock as an internal mechanism. Your body knows what time it is. And so we see that Kramer is filling up buckets of water because he has a new addition to his house. Lomez has sold him a hot tub. Uh, yeah, I, I do. Lo- I, I, the name Lomez is one of my three favorite Seinfeld names. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like Bob Sacramento, but Lomez, I would be friends with any with any Lomez. Yeah. And I, Lomez also is um, he you know, we hear more about I think this is our first Lomez, right? Mm hmm. Um, but we definitely he's on the he's on Kramer's Peterman reality tour. Uh, he's yeah. in the betrayal. So we definitely see more of Lomez. And I believe it's mentioned. That much like uh, Wheels Wienicker, he is an Orthodox Jew. Oh, wow. Which is a, a crazy name for an Orthodox Jew. Like, it sounds like a Gomez, right? It sounds pretty Hispanic, Lomez. But yeah, uh, I've never met. I don't know. Is Lomez the first name? Is it like Rabbi Lomez? Yeah, we don't know. It might be a nickname. It could be a Hispanic Orthodox Jew also. I don't want to say that's not true. Yeah. So Kramer tells us that this hot tub He's going to get the water over 120 degrees. Now, Keeve, here in the U.S., that I believe the highest temperature that you can get a hot tub to is 104 degrees. I believe that is regulated pretty heavily. Well, it, with what? You can get it to in what way? What do you mean? Like I think on, that that is the, the highest knob? that you can set the hot tub to. I think it's actually law that the highest it can go is 104. Yeah, but Kramer's overriding it here. Oh, yes. Yes, and maybe that's How part of the reason. How do you know about hot tub law? Like, nobody knows that. <laughs> I watched with the notes about nothing on again. Oh, well, you got all these facts. <laughs> yeah. And did, did the guy really go rogue again this week? Because last week, I know the guy was going rogue. No, He's I don't think so. putting in absurd facts. <laughs> no, that, uh, but, but I know that, like, my parents, uh, like, uh, had a hot tub, uh, and uh, they, they used to only go to 104. Yeah, I mean, that makes, that makes sense, right? I think if, if you're 105 in real life, you're, like, in the hospital. Yeah. And George wants to know, is that tolerable to get the water over 120 degrees? And uh, Kramer has a great line, a very Kramer line. He says, uh, oh, it's tolerable. Yeah. Do you think, like, a lot of our, li- our listeners are, are Celsius people, mm, right? Yeah. I think everyone's probably a Celsius person outside the United States, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I still haven't caught on with the Celsius stuff, but... Do you, like is this is I wonder if this stuff is always over the head of like the Australian listeners. <laughs> All right, so like do, you wanna, <laughs> do you want to give the calculation of uh, 120 degrees Fahrenheit to Celsius? I, I have it here. I think it's only right. I think we have to, you know, we have to check our so, our Fahrenheit privilege here. Kramer so 48.8 <laughs> degrees Celsius. Yeah, Kramer wants Fahrenheit. to put the hot tub water at 48.8 degrees Celsius. That sounds well, very hot. That's one tw- he says 120 Kramer? Yes. Okay, yes, over 120. Now, here in the U.S., that the hot tub law is that uh, it can only be 40 degrees Celsius. But again, okay. according to the inside look or the notes about nothing, there are some hot tubs in Japan which can go up to 115 degrees Fahrenheit or 46.11 degrees Celsius. Not 11, the giant. There's a lot of, oh boy, Phil Sims. I, there's a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of cultures other than the United States, that really appreciate their hot tubs and their saunas way more than us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like Finland, Japan. I feel like they're very into the hot tubs. We're like hot tub novices. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Jerry has a good zing here on Kramer. He also says, hey, isn't that the same temperature of the coffee that scalded you? Yeah, that is good. And I do like there's a lot of minor callbacks this season. I like that. Yeah. All right. So uh, also there's a funny point where George says to Jerry, like, uh, so Kramer doesn't have running water in his apartment. Uh, and Jerry just says, I don't ask those kind of questions anymore, which is a very good point of that. Obviously, the writers just like, hey, we need Kramer in this scene so he could be filling up water for the hot tub. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like I, I like the fact that he has written off Kramer, that he doesn't want to know what's going on there. Yeah. OK, so Elaine and Jerry are at Monks with John Paul, John Paul, and we have to have Jerry meet John Paul. And so uh, we have Jerry basically sitting down. Elaine has to uh, get up and call work on that pay phone. And so Jerry goes right into, how did it happen? How did you miss the race? It, it's such a funny scene and a Jer- classic Jerry moment because, like, the, you know, the last thing on earth this guy wants to talk about is the worst day of his life, probably, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But it's all people ask him, and now he's meeting. And now it's like he's probably not asked about it a lot anymore because it happened three years ago. Yes. Four years ago, I guess. But, like, the, the you know, first Jerry's leading question. Yes. Is what, I need to know everything about the Olympics. So it turns out it was not the snooze. It was not the AM, PM. It was the volume. Separate knob for the radio alarm. Keith, have you ever had an alarm clock that had that sort of setup? Yeah, I, it's confusing because I never know from look, which, you know, because it's like a running bar. And you never know just from looking at it, which one is off and which one is on. Mm-hmm. So I almost like you want to leave it in the middle just to be safe. Yeah. And so... Elaine comes back. Jerry wants to know, what's the alarm clock situation at your house? Elaine seems to have the same alarm clock for uh, quite some time. And that one time Jerry missed a flight to Cleveland because of that alarm clock. Probably a net win. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Cleveland. Yeah. What was the scenario where Jerry's sleeping at Elaine's house before going to Cleveland? I mean, it was probably when they dated. Mm. Okay. And so... Uh, Elaine is like, hey, it works. Don't worry about my alarm clock over here. Worry about your own alarm clock. I mean, it's just crazy that they don't have like a series of checks and balances for this thing. I, like I do, when you have if you ever have a really big appointment or something, mm-hmm. do, you just, what, do you only rely on one alarm clock? What's your if you had like an absolute I, I don't know what okay. constitutes an emergency in your world, but like I don't know about an emergency, something that would be a disaster if you overslept and it's relatively early in the morning. Yeah. So what, what do you do? What would your game be? This past weekend, I had to leave Chicago. I probably had to get in a yeah, car. Flight. Okay, a flight okay. is a good example. All right. I had to probably get in the car around like 630 to get over to the airport. And I, it was late when I went to bed and I set my phone and then I set the iPad as a backup. OK, I think two is, is fine. I I um, I'm trying to think of like when I. Uh, well, oh, so in, in a month or so, I'm coming, I'm, I'm going to be just in the house with my daughter, and she has, like, a really big thing she has to go to, and if she misses the bus, which is at, like, 6 a.m., they're going, like, five hours away. Mm-hmm. So she's just, like, done, and she's going to miss the whole trip that's, like, a week long, and then plus I'm, like, stuck with her in the house for a week. So <laughs> she's got to get on this bus. So my wife already said, like, because I'm a heavy sleeper, and she normally wakes me up, but she's not going to be home that day, she said, how are you going to get her up? And I already said, it's 6 in the morning. I'm just going to stay up, and I'm going to sleep. That's how neurotic I am. Mm-hmm. I will go to sleep at 6 a.m. Yeah. Like, I'm going to stay up. And she said, what you're going to do, and she's probably right, is you're going to be so confident you're not going to set any alarms, and then you're going to fall asleep in your chair at 5 a.m. Uh... and then sleep till noon. <laughs> and yes. she's probably right. So I probably will stay up and set alarms just in case. Yeah. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week of everything that was going on with the wake-up call guy. 
But then no wake up call back to anything from last week's episode. We had a whole episode about wake up call, guys. It doesn't make sense. It's almost like this episode was written independently of that because it, it's not one of the, sometimes in the early seasons we'd have a question like that and then we realize like oh this was written first but it's not everything here is in order so it really makes no sense that they can't have any they're calling back every other episode of the whole series in this episode and they can't mention once like because they could easily write it off like oh yeah that guy we're banned from that wake-up call guy right he, we can't contact him I, there's got to be so hundreds of wake-up bizarre calls we had yeah, a bizarre. whole episode about wake-up call guys And then the next episode is all about alarm clocks, and we don't even mention the whole thing. with. And there's a wake-up call guy in this episode, and they can't even, like, maybe he has an axe to grind with them, but the service or anything, it's so weird. It is weird. No, it's so weird. It is weird. I I do think, like, what, what if it's too, like, they're too concurrent, these episodes? And, like, they were written in a bubble. So they feel like, let's not shine a light on it? I mean, they're shining a light on, boy, uh, Kramer doesn't have running water in his house? Like, I don't ask those kind of questions. Like, I mean, I feel like that. How could you not mention it? What if, like, Gamble and Pross and Cavett and Robin, last week's writers and this week's writers, were, like, you know, they weren't showing each other their scripts. So they write that one, they film it. And then, and then, you know, and then this one was written already, and they just didn't have a place to squeeze it in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, they filmed that one, and, like, yes, you could do, like, a very quick throw-in, but there's, like, where are you mentioning it here? Mm-hmm. I mean, how about this? What if then, as a backup at Elaine's house, one of the reasons why they can't stay at Elaine's house, like, do you have a wake-up call guy? Like, uh, yeah, the wake-up call guy isn't taking my calls. I guess they felt like maybe that was going to be too close to then what Jerry deals with in the hotel. Right, I guess you don't want to mention the wake-up call guy twice, but I do think you're right. You have to... It has to come up if it's such a similar plot in back-to-back episodes. Or even, like, how about a wake-up call? Like, oh, no, trust me, those guys are unreliable. You know, sometimes that, right. uh, yeah, that's sometimes they yeah. oversleep, too. Right. Yeah, you can mention it and deflect it in two seconds. I agree. Okay. Anyway, so we go back to George's office at Yankee Stadium, and George is doing the crossword puzzle, and this is the scene that would have been the voodoo doll scene. Uh, here comes Wilhelm. He wants George to go and meet with executives from... The Houston Astros, because they need to have some high stakes meetings to discuss how interleague play is going to work. Keeve, as a super sports fan, do you believe that AL and NL teams needed to meet to discuss how interleague play would work? It's not really how baseball works, right? Yeah. It's not like different countries needed (laughs) to sort of like discuss how the (laughs) treaty was going to work. No, this is not the United Nations. It's. Well, I mean, the one weird thing before interleague play, if you remember, was that the American League and National League, it's not like they're separate companies, right? Mm-hmm. But they had their own presidents, which made no sense. Yeah. By the end, it was more of an honorary position, I think. And now, they, now obviously, they don't have them anymore. There's mm-hmm. no reason. There's yeah. interleague play literally every single day of the season nowadays. Yes. Um, but, it, right, they had separate presidents. And, but even, like, even then, there's no way the Yankees and the Astros would ever get together and be like, we need to discuss, you know, this is up to the commissioner and they and the owners would have a, a say in like a vote. But the assistant to the traveling secretary of the Yankees is not involved in the decision of having interleague play. Right. The Astros did not need to send three executives to New York to go and meet with the assistant to the traveling secretary of the Yankees to work out the logistics. And the irony of all of this is that the Astros are in the American League. Yes. Now there's no interleague play between uh, and. And now, I mean, the Yankees would have to get on a plane and go to Houston because the Yankees are the Astros and the Astros are the Yankees. 
<laughs> Wait, what? I'm saying the Yankees are a joke now, and the Astros are like up and coming. So like the the like here the Astros are getting on a plane and like oh we're going to New York and it's all exciting. Why these prestigious Yankees who are about to become this? Why how good are the Astros now? I thought they were off to a bad start this year. Yeah, but they they have like a like a crazy foundation. They have Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa. Yankees have like forty one year old Mark Teixeira okay. and Arod. Keep really trying to troll the Yankee fans here, uh, putting a lot of stock into the American League two thousand fifteen wild card game. Yeah, I'm, I I'd like to apologize to uh, Michael Clark. Yes. He's, he's still basking in the glory of his Car- yeah. of Cleveland Cavaliers. I guess uh, I mean, the Astros really turned it around. I feel like that in the beginning of the season, the story was, uh, boy, the Astros uh, are really, what happened to them this year? But there's seven games oh, they're over they're like 500. the hottest team in baseball now. Yeah. Okay. But the, but the, but the future is bright also. <laughs> yes. Unlike All right. the Yankees. All right. Uh, <laughs> Carlos Lomez is uh, one of their stars, right? Ooh, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> we, tr- we traded him for Lohan Santana. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's go back to uh, Jerry and Elaine. And uh, Elaine comes in. She's running late. Jerry, now, I, one of my issues with this episode is how invested Jerry gets in the plight of Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. I don't get it. Why does Jerry care so much about this? I don't know. I, I'm with Jerry here. I understand what you're saying, but I'm also very, I was always very invested in Jean-Paul getting to the marathon on time. And again, Jerry's got not, like a theme in season seven is that Jerry's got nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Like, George is engaged, even though there's another Susanless episode. George is engaged, and, you know, Elaine has his job now, and now Kramer's going to get into all these hijinks the last three seasons. And Jerry really, like, we don't see him do comedy other than, like, the stand at the beginning. Like, it's not in the plot lines. Jerry's got nothing going on. So, and we've even mentioned, right, in the last month, Jerry barely has storylines in most episodes. Yeah. So, I like, if you're a lonely, pathetic, like, nothing, like, this is the most exciting thing that's going to happen to you all week, this guy going to the marathon. Yeah, I do think that there is this part of Jerry's personality. He does have this gear that we saw this with Babu Bot, where Jerry all of a sudden gets invested in something. It's like, I'm going to help. I'm going to come in. I'm, I'll be Superman here and save the day because this situation is not being handled correctly. We do see that Jerry have that. You know, George has a little bit of that, too. We saw with the rocking chair and the security guard recently where they just feel like I have to meddle in this. Yes, he has to meddle in this so John Paul can meddle in the race. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so we have a couple of sort of wacky things going on. So Elaine is late and Jerry's like, oh, you see, Elaine needs to heat up a muffin in this scene. We don't know if it's the top of a muffin or the bottom of a muffin. But Elaine, for the first time, I believe, in the history of the series, uses the microwave. Yeah, the microwave does not get a lot of use here. Does not get a lot of use. And so uh, can we think of another time when the microwave was in play? No, and and this is, I, I think I told the story in an early episode, but I once left my uh, dorm room with an instant soup, and instead of writing one, putting in one, I double-clicked the one, and I put it on for 11 minutes. And then what happened? Uh, the, the dorm, the whole floor of the dorm smelled like burnt, <laughs> and I forgot to put the water in. The, I like telling my stories, because, you you know, I told it two years ago, who remembers, but like, the whole dorm room smelled, the whole floor, the sixth floor of my dorm smelled like uh, like burnt. Uh, like uh, styrofoam. Oh my god! It was a styrofoam thing, not a pla- not like um. Yeah, the other ones are not plastic, like wh- whatever the normal yeah. material is. It was one of those styro- and it's like it smelled awful for the rest of the year. The whole oh my for god! For whatever reason, it wasn't that great, bad in the room. It was mostly like on the floor. But then, like people, I would tell the story later, like after I graduated, people were like, oh, that was you, yeah. Like we almost wanted to move to the fifth floor. It was so bad. Yeah. Wow. I went down to get Chinese food in like the the, the in like the cafeteria. So by the time I came back, it was. It was done already. There was, you know, the security guards were by my room. There was smoke. It was crazy. Yeah, I feel like if you would have had the water in there, maybe it wouldn't have been that bad. 
if I had the water, I, I, it wouldn't have been so bad. Like to, the double whammy of forgetting the water, and I, I assume I clicked eleven. I don't know. Maybe I, you know, maybe I missed one and wrote four, pressed in four. And with the, like, I, I I'll never know how, what I actually pressed, but mm-hmm. the double whammy really uh, was. You know, I, I, they wanted to like kick me out of the dorms. It was yeah. very, it was messy. No, I'm. I mean, your wife shouldn't even leave you with the kids. Like, I mean, this is really uh, you, she, you're a menace. I, I, she really doesn't most of the time. Let's be fair. She is pretty hesitant. Yeah. The 10-year-old, I feel like there's only so much damage I could do. Okay. But the two-year-old, the two-year-old, you know, we could burn the house down or something. All right. So Jerry is going nuts about, you know, Kramer comes in and says, like, hey, what's is something burning? And it's like, oh, you you did the microwave wrong? And Jean-Paul Jean-Paul is, uh, he's concerned as well. Uh, yeah. I, I do like saying Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. I just want to say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Uh, where is Jean-Paul Jean-Paul that he is, like, uh, independently uh, showing up for things? What do you mean? Like, where should he be? Like, um, I mean, he's, I mean, he shows up, and, you know, uh, where where was he? He's probably just walking around the city, like, checking out Central Park. Okay. You know, has he ever been to New York before? This is exciting for him. And Elaine just says to him, like, oh, meet me at my friend Jerry's apartment at this time. Yeah, I guess. That's like, here's the address. This is where we hang out. I guess that's fair. That it's It's a lot of work for... For you know, I you know you don't want to like go to someone's neighborhood and then just sort right. Of, I don't think he the buzzes ways either. Yeah. So all right. So here's Jean Paul and Kramer comes in and obviously uh, that he notices that something smells bad. Uh, he had a great soak though. Soak of the year. Such a weird line, right? <laughs> it was good. I mean, Kramer does make the hot tub sound very enticing. Yeah, I mean, I, but I, Jerry calls it like some bacteria something or other. But <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, Kramer, like I understand the appeal of having a hot tub in your house. I do think it's cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for you, for you and yourself, like it does seem uh, appealing. Anyway, so. What if, I, what if I could work in my hot tub if I had like a waterproof laptop? keyboard and mouse? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Would you want to do that? No, like, like my hands are outside the hot tub. Like my, de- my computer's on a desk. Yeah, and I'm just sitting in the hot tub, and there's some some sort of like fence type thing that's blocking the water from splashing onto my computer equipment, and then I have like a, a waterproof mouse and keyboard. Like I think the appeal of getting in the hot tub is relaxing and not working. I know, but if I have to work, I may as well relax. I guess I, so. I do like I I think with Kramer also like it's a cool thing, and then the novelty wears off, and now you have like no room in your living room because mm-hmm. you just have a giant hot tub. Yeah, so. <laughs> Elaine has to uh, go, and uh, we still have the subplot going on of Elaine needs to figure out a pitch for the Himalayan walking shoe. Yeah, and again, we're, we're anti a lot of the Peterman stuff, but I, I do think this is uh, better than most of it. Yeah, I disagree with you on it, but we'll uh, we'll get to the the meat. Of <laughs> no, the I mean Himalayan it's not great, but I, at least like at least they had a decent way to to wrap it up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Elaine, John Paul leave, and Elaine says to Jerry, uh, "Okay, we'll see you at the race." And Jerry says, "I hope so." Uh, so Elaine does not think that's funny. Um, yeah, I, I, Jerry really is hating on Elaine here. Mm. And also, like, does John Paul have zero friends? Like, did he come here from Trinidad and Tobago by himself? Like, no one else is running the marathon. There's probably events for like the he's, his number is 28. One thing I know about the marathon is like the good guys get to go in front. Obviously, John Paul comes late, so he doesn't get to go. Oh, so you feel like there would have been like uh, marathon social type things? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would have been like marathon con. Well, I will say <laughs> marathon con. I will say in John Paul's defense, you know, I'm sure that he is the laughing stock of the competitive That's running world. True, he probably doesn't want to show his face. He doesn't want to show his face there. Everybody's like, John Paul, John Paul, what happened? I I couldn't believe 
when I heard you overslept at the Barcelona, we were all like, where is he? Yeah, when I worked on the, the last Olympics, I remember there was a story. There was two Egyptian wrestlers who um, they thought, like, the whole week, the, uh, the, the wrestling started at 1 p.m. Uh, uh, British time, which was uh, way too early for Kiwi, for Wheels Wienicker. But yes. anyway, it was 1 p.m. British time. And the, the last day of the Olympics, everything has to end early because they, they need to get to the, uh, the, the closing ceremony. So everything is done by like 5 o'clock, so there can be nothing going on during the closing ceremony. Mm-hmm. So the wrestling went from like 12 days in a row of being 1 p.m. The last day of the Olympics, it's 8.30 a.m. And every single person knew that, except for these two Egyptian wrestlers who showed up four and a half hours late to the freaking Olymp- Olympics. Wow. And were disqualified. <laughs> they weren't just disqualified. Like, it was over. Yeah. By the time they got there, like, the tournament was, like, I don't know how nobody got in touch with them. It's not like they showed up, you know, uh, like, ten minutes late. Like, they totally missed it. I, could you imagine? Like, they worked their entire lives. You would think they would have had a handler. Right. They did. I, I believe there was a handler involved, and it was his fault. Oh, they probably killed like, that Like, because the players, it's not the talent's job to know what time the thing is, Right. It's yeah. like the the Olympic Committee, the Egyptian you know, handler, or so. Could you imagine though, like missing the the like if you're a wrestler, like if you're a marathoner, at least you have the New York City Marathon. You know, the Olympics is just another race. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a wrestler, what do you have? You just have the Olympics once every four years. Yeah, and then you miss it. That's mm-hmm. pretty bad. It's pretty. That's bad. That's worse than fourth place, I think. It's brutal. I'd rather mi- I'd rather not make the Olympics, and then like you go home. It's like the dumbest, like no one can even look at you in the face, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how, like, you, like I, you go home and like, how do you, how do you train another four years for another Olympics after you overslept, like you literally basically overslept or got, not even overslept, like they were probably up and like playing video games, not realizing that the Olympics were going on. Yeah. Um, it was pretty brutal. I always felt bad for those guys. <laughs> I, I didn't check, but I hope they're in this Olympics. I hope they made it back. I hope so. It'd be quite a redemption That'd be a great story, story right? Yeah, Bob be... Costas would love, would love leading off with like. Last four years ago, at this time, no, it would be a yeah. good a good package. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look into. It. I'll see if they uh, if they. By the way, uh, from, update from last week: Paul O'Neill did not respond to my how many inside the park homers did you have in your career? Hmm. I can't get that information. If someone knows how to get that, I, is he I active on Twitter? I, I actually I know I, I didn't I didn't ask him. I asked uh, I asked some of the ESPN stats guys, but I do have the email of a couple of Elias guys from my old uh, days. So maybe I'll I'll ask them a favor and see because I couldn't get. I couldn't get that uh, answer. Another another uh, a commenter wrote in and said from that Paul O'Neill conversation, uh, Sean from the comments wrote in and said, catching a baseball in your hat is an automatic triple. So it wouldn't really help, uh, you know, if he caught it. In his hat. It would have been a cool story, but. Somebody should do it so. like on game 162. Like, a, yeah. you know, game we're just playing out the string. Somebody should totally. catch a ball in a hat. Totally. Or what if it's like, I'll tell you a good scenario. Cespedes should do it on the 162nd game of the Mets season this year when I'll, they're eliminated I'll, from the playoffs. I'll tell you the best time to do it. Yes. It's a tie game. Bottom, you're, you have to be the road team. Bottom of the ninth. Base is loaded. One or less outs. So it's like a deep fly ball. And a lot of times you just let it go over your head. The game's over. Because even if you catch, you're not throwing at the runner at home, right? He's tagging up. Mm-hmm. It's just catching your hat. Like instead of not instead of letting go over your head. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the guy could fall down. Uh, like uh, I, I think although they, get in your trouble. pitcher will be mad because then he gets the three automatic three runs. Yeah, instead of one. Yeah, it's, it really hurts his ERA. Yeah, do it like in an error. Ninth inning, hundred sixty second game, and it's a blowout. 
Yeah, but I think even team. then, the don't the pitchers get mad if you do that? I feel like it would need to be unearned. Probably. Runs. It would have to, it would be after an error. Probably has to be like a really nice pitcher like Jacob deGrom or something like that. Is deGrom really nice? He seems like nice, the nicest errors? of those guys. I would not do it when Harvey's on the mound. I feel like no. he'd, he's probably mean. But when will that be again? All right. Uh, but that being <laughs> said, uh, so Kramer goes and uh, we see first Kramer getting into the hot tub. Uh, the water's at uh, a balmy 105 degrees as he gets in. I don't like the word balmy. I don't know why. Yeah, why not? I don't know. It doesn't really explain anything to me. <laughs> hot. It sounds hot and cold at the same time. <laughs> All right. Uh, then uh, we <laughs> see George at the bar with the uh, Houston guys, and uh, they call everybody, uh, you tell those sons of bitches when we get to New York, we're not paying for drinks, and uh, you tell that bastard, blah, blah, blah. And now George is going to pick up on that. George? What we know about him is any sort of slang any other person is doing around him, he will start picking up. He's a come with guy in every sense of the word. Yes. He's basically, I mean, if we were just like uh, going around George using like some nonsense words, he would then immediately start picking it up as well. I think the thing about bastard and SOB, or it's just the worst words you could say without getting bleeped. Mm. Is that what it is? I think those are just like the two, like, what are two curse words? Like, they're not really curse words, right? Yeah. What are like two like foul language type of things you can say without having to worry about like the constant like f bomb s bomb bleeping? Yeah. Uh, so was bastard and son of a bitch was that a uh, like tough to get past the censors in 1995? Well, if it was tough, they wouldn't have gotten to pass the censors, right? They say it 25 times. Hmm. Yeah. Like oh. you know, it, like maybe they had other words in there that didn't get past the censors. Yeah. <laughs> well, can it, you think of a word that could be in that mix that like the f and the s word? always get bleeped i think if you say a hole like you can call someone an ass but if you say a hole i think that gets bleeped yeah. on network TV. well it so. has to be a bastard all the way through for the script to make sense but maybe they said something different than son of a bitch right that, which right, right right good point got talked down or, or did the egg come before the chicken because that's such a random plot line mm. <laughs> I don't like, know. it's good but it's like you know there's only two parts in there like that could have been written in after easily yeah i, I think that probably uh, i think the, the origin of it and i'm totally guessing is that some people we're getting called bastard. And again, this is a pre-Game of Thrones world where I kind of feel like that that's probably thrown about more. It's almost uh, a compliment now. Yeah. Bastards yeah, like no running, stigma run the world. Whatsoever. Who runs the world? Bastards. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they're all saying these things and uh, George ends up trying it on by the end of the scene that they ask him, are you a big drinker, George? And he says, well, maybe not as much as this bastard. And there's like a split second where he's like nervous before they laugh, right? Yeah, they all laugh. All right, uh, and then we cut back to Kramer, who's in the hot tub, and uh, the hot tub pump has broken, and the window is open because Kramer liked to have the air very cold. He said it was like Switzerland, or it was like Sweden, I think he said. And so he had the air very cold, but the hot tub pump broke, and now Kramer wakes up in water that is 53 degrees. It seems very improbable that he could sleep through the water becoming freezing like this yeah. without notice. I think we need one of our science experts to tell us how long and how cold would it have to be outside? Again, we talked about the 1995 New York Marathon, though. I guess this is canon, how cold it was at that 1995 New York Marathon. How long would it take for water in a hot tub to go from 105 degrees to 53 degrees? Because the air outside would have to be far colder than 53 degrees, right? Yes. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Thomas has something semi-related when we get to the mailbag, but he, maybe he could work on that for next week. Okay. All right, so after the commercial break, we come back and uh, we see Jerry and Jean-Paul Jean-Paul at Monk's. And 
Jerry expresses his confidence or his lack of confidence to Jean-Paul Jean-Paul about Elaine's setup. Yeah, I mean, half of like half of this battle is just getting in Jean-Paul's head. Mm-hmm. Like Jean-Paul was fine until you started worrying about it. Yes. Yeah. So Jerry says, hey, we got to get you to a hotel. You'll be comfortable. And there's a wake up call at the hotel. And again, this is so odd that the wake up call subplot from last week is not even mentioned here. Jerry says these people never fail. They sit in a room with a big clock all night long just waiting to make that call, which we saw on last week's show. That is not what the people who have a wake-up call do. Yeah, really a, a big fail by, uh, by the writers here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Again, maybe this is hotel wake-up call people. That's what they do. Yeah, maybe that's like a higher caliber because that, that's not their job, right? They're mm-hmm. already up. Like the guy from last week, whatever it was, his name James, like, yeah. he can, like he could be asleep. And forget to wake up call. Like, the concierge is already there at work. So it's not a big deal like for you. To... What does that mean? That just like you're going to do, that you're going to stay up all night. Yeah, I'm up all night, but, I, I, but I'm not standing. I'm mm. never standing. Like, that's the... <laughs> By the way, I got some... I, you know, I, I said last week that I sit for 16 hours a day, which might have been an exaggeration. I'm not sure. Yeah. And I got some concerned listeners. They were like, oh, my God, you, you're not healthy. Yeah. Which is I, for sure true, but... It was an accurate diagnosis. Yeah, I, I feel like people are... People are, we're nervous. They're like, you know, I don't think they care long term. I think they just want me to make it another year and a month to finish this darn thing. And then mm-hmm. who cares what happens? Then they won't, they won't worry. It about would be it. a real shame if like, you know, something happened before that. Yeah. All right. Well, we end up with uh, Jerry making the pitch to Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. He seems uh, receptive to the idea, but he feels like it would be too rude. Uh, why would it be rude? To switch. I guess he felt like... Uh, that Elaine is hosting he's him. Never gonna, he's never going to see her again, though. Hmm. Also, how did, how did they meet? Like, is Elaine in this Adopt-A-Marathoner program? Well, I sure. think she edited this manuscript that was oh, right, about right. his she, life. Right, right. Yeah. She did meet him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, so um, Jerry is trying to, is trying to convince him. Uh, here comes George, and uh, immediately he goes right into the slang from Houston, like, hey, you bastards. That's how these guys from Houston talk. Everybody's a bastard or a son of a bitch. Yeah, I feel like a lot of, you know, it's a lot of stereotyping Texas here. Yeah, and George tries to use it in a sentence like, boy, that son of a bitch Boggs can really hit, huh? <laughs> I feel like Wade Boggs was a big cursor. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he used a lot of foul language. I'm not sure why. Well, he was eating all that chicken. Yeah, all that chicken made you cringe. <laughs> yeah, that's how they talk in the major leagues. That's what George says. A lot of Tyler chicken for Wade Boggs. Yeah. All right, so then here comes Kramer, and he has lost his core temperature because the heat pump is broken. Yeah, and we don't know how long he was in there, but there's no way you could be in there for more than 10 minutes in that freezing water without waking up. Yeah. All right, so Jean-Paul Jean-Paul feels his hand, uh, and another uh, great line uh, from this episode is like, uh, this son of a bitch is ice cold. Yeah, and I also like, like, Jean-Paul doesn't know it's a Texas thing, right? He just thinks that's how, like, Americans talk. Hey, this is how you talk in the major leagues. That's right. That's all he hears. Anyway, so uh, get talk about impressionable people. Jean-Paul is Jean-Paul. Very impressionable. Listen, if you go to a foreign country and you're the foreigner and everyone else is, you know, is the native, like, you're going to, if you're hanging out with them, you're going to act in their way pretty quickly. That makes sense. Yes, that he is trying to uh, adapt to the culture around him. Yeah, the Americans do. They sit around, drink coffee all day, and they curse. He's assimilating. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know... Listen, that there's you know if, if there are worse lives than going to America and just uh, he must think like Americans don't work. Mm-hmm. What is John Paul's like? He goes back to Trinidad and Tobago the day after the marathon. Is like, all right, 
Americans are uh, awful people mm-hmm. who sit around all day. None of them have jobs, and yeah. they say a lot of swear words. Yeah. George is back at the office, and uh, he is talking to the guys from the Astros who are calling him on the plane. They can't really hear him. He has to uh, keep yelling louder and louder until he finally uh, ends up yelling like, hey, you tell that son of a bitch. No person from the Yankees is ever going to. And so Mr. Wilhelm, here's a little little threes company action going on here. Yeah, a little little uh, sitcom. Uh, I could explain this in one second, although I, I, it's a harder explanation. Like, oh, you don't understand. These guys curse nonstop. It sounds a little weird, but. He could explain it away, but doesn't bother George. Yeah, he doesn't really. You know, it's like, uh, look, I know everything they say. I mean, he was able to explain it to Jerry, but he's not able to uh, explain it to Mr. Wilhelm. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I mean, with George Steinberg, I feel like he gets it, though. <laughs> he understands. All right. Uh, Mr. Wilhelm, uh, he hangs up the phone, but uh, he's very concerned about George. He's not mad. He's just concerned about his employee. Yeah, it's Wilhelm. Yeah, it's, he's like he's walking this weird line where he's like sort of annoyed at George by the end. But mm-hmm. more he thinks he's overworking him. It's a little confusing. Yeah. We see a shot of Elaine trying to work on the copy for the Himalayan shoes. Uh, she's got nothing. No. And, and Rob thinks the story has nothing to it. Mm-hmm. So we see Jean-Paul Jean-Paul in the hallway with Judy, the mother of the baby whose father is gone. And Jean-Paul Jean-Paul looks at the baby and says, look at that cute little bastard. Are you mama's little bastard? <laughs> Should have just gone with breathtaking. I feel like that's yes. the catch-all. Uh, and uh, boy, Judy is very upset about this. I mean, you have to have a little more common sense, John Paul. The thing about this whole story, though, is I get it that it's offensive to call the baby a bastard. But how is this a secret, this story? I mean, the father has left. He's gone. Is she lying to people and saying, like, oh, no, he's just out of town? Is that what what's going on here? I mean, I understand that it's offensive to call the baby a bastard, but I don't understand the part of the story where, oh, it's a secret. You weren't supposed to tell anybody that this baby is now a bastard. Well, we didn't talk about the second deleted scene. Yes. But the second deleted scene with the rabbi, a rare scenario where a guest star gets cut from the episode. We haven't mm-hmm. seen almost any of that so Again, far. Again, somebody series. really was in love with the rabbi where he put him in every episode. He was like a series regular at this point in season seven. He- yeah, so the rabbi gets caught, but in the scene, he mentions that, like, he thinks that Elaine is shacking up with John Paul, and he says, people are fine with your interracial relationship, but people are a little less fine. Yeah, thank you, rabbi, with, for that. Yeah, with the, with the uh, listen, 1995 was a different that with time. the building. Yeah, yeah thanks. <laughs> 1995 was a, was a different time. Yeah, we're um, okay with Elaine's interracial <laughs> relationship. <laughs> listen, it's, Again, uh, rightfully cut. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is, uh, what is it, 18 years before Donovan? Like, this is, uh, this is you know, very early on. And mm-hmm. I think also, um, oh, so he says that people are more upset with, um, with the, the whole bastard situation in 2D or whatever. Okay. That, that, so everyone, it's one of these things where everyone knows, but no one can bring up to the person. Yeah, not a very progressive building that Elaine lives in. No, which is funny because Elaine views herself as like the most progressive person on earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Except with pets. <laughs> <laughs> They're okay with an interracial relationship, but a little bit on the fence on a child born of wedlock. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, this bill, like Elaine, really should move. <laughs> it is a right. ter- she, she's already humiliated. The rabbi has really spilled the beans to everyone right. in the building. The she's fact got nothing that going the, on the rabbi conducted a straw poll to say, "Are, are we okay with <laughs> Elaine's interracial relationship?" Uh, okay, all right, good. 
Uh, what about the baby born of wedlock? Is that no? Okay, we're out on that. Okay, we'll say something. This rabbi really does not. He does not get the winners at it in this show. Right. Not a lot of business going on at the synagogue, I imagine. There's a lot of time. I mean, listen, on his who's hands. hiring this rabbi? Anybody can be a rabbi. It doesn't mean you're practicing, right? Yeah, I guess so. He has a, a TV gig. He's got a TV. Yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's one of these uh, you know pay as you go TV gigs. It's public access. You pay. <laughs> okay. He's paying for the TV gig. He doesn't even have the right hat for the rabbi. Right? He doesn't look like a ra- any a rabbi I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so he, this guy's confused. He's All like right. the shame of the rabbinical school. So Jerry and George end up uh, walking into the apartment and we end up seeing that it's uh, they're like, oh, my God, it's so hot in here. Kramer has turned up the heat all the way in Jerry's apartment. Again, another reason like uh, Kramer could have just been doing this in his apartment, but we wouldn't have seen him. Right. Yeah. You know, you literally we, we do get we don't see like the full apartment. We do get a lot more Kramer's apartment now going forward. But, yeah, he's just randomly lying there and no one makes any note of it. Yeah, and so that he's waiting for the big heat pump to show up. George mentions that there's a big box in the hallway, so Kramer goes to go work on his heat pump. The phone rings. It's Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. He's been kicked out of Elaine's building by her landlord after the bastard comment, and so he is going to uh, go off and meet Jerry to go to the hotel. Yeah, I mean, uh, like why the hotel is the second option, I'm not sure, but what are you going to do? I guess they need to be near the starting line. Okay, they're going to be right near the starting line. So, okay, so we see Jerry and Jean-Paul Jean-Paul at the hotel. They're trying to pick out what music station uh, to put on. Top 40, classical, uh, adult contemporary, which I like that Jerry shortens down to adult contempo. I was going to ask you the same question. I'm not sure. I mean, I feel like that's like Kenny G. I was going to say like like Celine Dion. Yeah, Celine Dion, that's adult contemporary. Let's see. Uh, top 50 adult contemporary artists of all time. Uh, according to Google search, that's the number one answer, Celine Dion. Oh, boom. Yeah. Even a blind squirrel gets uh, one right once in a while. Or Other like adult contemporary artists, according to Google, include Barbara Streisand, mm-hmm. Amy Grant, Adele. Adele is a... a I feel a, like she's in everything. If she'd be yeah. in like the rap category, she's just ubiquitous, Adele. Lionel Richie. Okay. Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. Michael Bolton. Oh, yeah, for sure. And Air Supply. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I've heard of Air Supply. I don't know what type of music they play. Yeah, Michael Bolton, I believe. So uh, Billy Joel and, El- and Elton-, Elton John are like a little bit too rocky. Yeah, I think adult so. contemporary. Uh, Kenny G does show up on this list of He's just not top 10. Yeah, he's not. He's, he's also like receiving top votes. 30. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I'm looking, I clicked on another list. The Billboard Top 50 Adult Contemporary Artists Ever, and Elton John is mentioned. I guess if you count Elton John, he's probably number one all time. Yeah, but probably I think that he's like I feel like is Elton John in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? There's no Adult Contemporary Hall of Fame. We should start one. Yeah, we should. I mean, okay. some of the some of the Rock and Roll of Fame doesn't make sense, right? It should just be like a Music Hall of Fame. Because mm-hmm. there is no Music Hall of Fame, right? So does that mean that like uh, you know, built like Taylor Swift doesn't get to be in any Hall of Fame. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what Hall of Fame is Taylor Swift in? Not the Adult Contemporary Hall of Fame. What's her, just like pop music? There should be a pop. She's fine. I think she's fine. I don't think she needs the Hall of Fame. No? Yeah, I think she's above it. (laughs) So, yeah, there you go. All right, that's the uh, Hall of Fame for uh, Adult Contemporary. We'll work on that. So Jerry ends up calling up to set up a wake-up call uh, for 6.50 a.m. in room 419. And Jerry is a little pedantic about the wake-up call and ends up offending Mr. Wake-up call guy. Yeah. In uh, 1994, Elton John was uh, inducted by Axl Rose to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. 
but not the adult contempo Hall of Fame. No, he's still he's still waiting there. He's like Pete Rose there. They won't let him in. Okay, let him in. He bet on, he bet on uh, he bet on a concert he had once. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, then uh, the wake up call guy is getting a little annoyed, and Jerry says, "Well, you know, this is an important wake up call." And the wake up call guy says, "Hey, all of my calls are important." Uh, very sensitive, this wake up call guy. Yeah. Are we through? He wants to know. Uh, and Jerry got into a little bit of a thing with the wake up guy. Really, uh, you know, this, he could get fired. Like, this is what kind of hotel is this? This is bad service. Yeah. Why don't they go to another hotel? At a certain point, like they went from Elaine's house to hotel to hotel. Like, I, at a certain point, they, you just may as well just line up at the race and start it. Like, you're yeah. not getting any sleep. Well, Jerry feels like we need to get him into his house. That's how he needs to feel comfortable. So Elaine walks into her apartment. Uh, we get a, a completely humorless moment where Elaine walks into the apartment, can't find Jean-Paul Jean-Paul, uh, and then uh, after a couple of moments, gives up, goes into the hallway, and then runs into the neighbor who is upset with Elaine. Right. I mean, she thinks that Elaine spilled the beans. She doesn't know that the rabbi is probably. Shouldn't everyone assume that the rabbi is doing the squealing in this building? Yeah, you would imagine. Also, that the woman is like really upset with Elaine and says, hey, your friend is the person. Really, there's not a really big pay. Like the payoff on this comes with Jean-Paul Jean-Paul calling the baby a bastard. But really, you know, there should not be another beat to this story because uh, there are no more laughs to be had on this. I think it's a good point. It's a rare story where it ties together like halfway through the episode. It's not the funniest thing ever, but it ties together very well. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I, this right, this beat to the story just leads to another pointless, easy to explain conversation at the marathon. Mm-hmm. So that's a good call by you. I think this yeah. that scene is totally useless. There's no need for Elaine to have this conversation with a woman, and there's no need for Jerry to be having the conversation with Elaine later on. That's like I swear I didn't say anything. I didn't. I right, didn't mention she's it. telling the truth, and she believes him. Doesn't add anything. That's a good call by you. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Anyway, so Elaine ends up going out to go look for Jean-Paul. So here's uh, Jean-Paul Jean-Paul now at Jerry's apartment. And Jean-Paul Jean-Paul is annoyed that Jerry is having him sleep on the sofa. But Jerry is going to set an alarm clock. And then as a backup, is going to have Kramer set his mental alarm clock. Uh, yeah, so they got two. That's our rules. You want two alarm clocks. I feel like they're set to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, we also have now... Elaine, uh, you know, she's uh, she's now gone to the street now to go and look for uh, Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. Um, the, uh, yeah. So Elaine's wandering around. Uh, do you think you would have cut the whole scene entirely where she walks into the building or you need to see her for two seconds looking for Jean-Paul? I, I, I guess I, I guess so uh, that, you know, she like. It's hard. I guess you need to have her, like, know she's not there to get her out to the street. I, I guess my problem is that uh, I, I do not find the Elaine searching for Jean-Paul Jean-Paul on the street with the voiceover to be great either. Are you down on this whole episode? Uh, I kind of am. Yeah. Interesting. Because I would say, you're, you know, you're usually not super pessimistic. And this is considered, you know, certainly considered a top 50 episode. Really? I think so. Yeah, like it has an 8.9 on IMDb. That's better than, you know, there aren't a lot of episodes that have 9.0s. See, I like this stuff with George. I think that that's kind of fun with uh, with him going to, you know, he's annoyed. And so I I feel like that more often than not, like, you know, nine times out of 10, the George storyline is always working. But I just feel like it's too much with Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. And I'm really not invested in that character. And I feel like that we spend 
too much time on a character that we just introduced in like this wacky one-time character that we brought into this episode that has not even like a character trait, just like an unusual background of that he oversleeps for races. Right, he's not funny on his own. I mean, the only thing he does that's funny is pick up on their cursing. Yeah, he calls the baby a bastard. So I, I feel like that rather than explore our own core four and their idiosyncrasies, we end up spending a lot of time with Jean-Paul Jean-Paul and a lot of time with this joke of the J. Peterman catalog has all this exposition to sell shoes. Um, I hear you. So if you don't like episodes that are heavily set on one-time uh, guest stars, maybe we'll skip the Soup Nazi next And I, It's not that <laughs> I, don't, I hate all the one-time guest stars. I just that for me, Jean-Paul Jean-Paul was not an interesting enough character that I Right, it depends on the guest star. Him. We see the Jimmy, and he carries that episode, and that's great. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, overall, I have to say that uh, a little down on uh, the hot tub here. Okay. See, I didn't know. I, I like when you don't tell me that before. And now, and now I just we can explore it, right? I didn't tell you before we came on the, came on the call. Uh, again, there's, there's stuff here. There's, there's, there's uh, plenty. It's, not, it's definitely not a bad episode. It's a little bit of a mess, but it's not a bad episode. Yeah. Anyway, back to Elaine exploring on the street. Uh, she's like expressing about as she can't find Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul. I do like the line about uh, in the distance, a baby cries, a fatherless baby, uh, a bastard. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what they could write in the Peterman catalog, but that is a good story if she gets that in there. Yeah. Uh, her back aches or her heart aches, uh, but her feet feel good. Yeah, this is pretty good. She, she's a good writer, Elaine. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, and then we do the... Uh, overhead shot of victory which i feel like we do that a lot on seinfeld yeah although but the the actual scene of like her having all this inner monologue it's something we've seen before but uh not not a ton and this in particular seems a little bit uh out of like the usual for seinfeld okay so we go back to jerry's apartment everybody is sleeping and uh we end up uh going to panning across to the hot tub pump sparks fly and uh, the industrial strength heat pump has failed. Now, you would think that Kramer would turn it off at when he goes to sleep, right? Or is yeah, he but to... he's Kramer. Yeah, so you think he just needs to just, like, keep it going overnight that he has to get the hot tub to, like, 150 degrees by the time he yeah, wakes up? Yeah, you probably want, yeah, he wants it ready for a soak the minute he wakes up. You don't want to start plugging things in and then waiting an hour. All right, so we end up getting to where Jerry is the first to wake up. It's daytime. The clock says 4.02. He realizes that they have overslept. It's 8.47. Now, Keith, what time does the New York Marathon start? In my head, I think it always starts at 11. I'm 99% sure. Okay, that's not too bad, 8.47. Yeah, but in the, in the canon of the show, it's clearly 9 o'clock. Okay. So they got there in 13 minutes? Well, he, they, start, they got there maybe two minutes late, but okay. yeah. So the four-wave start times, according to the, uh, the, the start uh, website, uh, I the, believe I believe the um, the wheelchair division goes earlier. Okay, the, they go faster. I believe so they the get them. Four out of wave first. start times range from nine fifty a.m. to eleven a.m. But I'm right. I, I believe the core, like the the key people, go at eleven. Mm, okay. I don't. I don't want to say key people. I, the 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 person who wins the marathon as we know it, because I I do believe like the wheelchair race goes early because they're so much faster that it would be. You know, it would be a lot of traffic if, like, they, you know, they were with with the with the uh, able-bodied people. I think, um, I, I think, I think it's eleven because for just from TV purposes. But also, yeah. So nine eight forty seven. I'm not sure where the marathon starts. I don't know if you have that in front of you. No, I don't know. But thirteen minutes from the Upper West Side, unless it starts on like in Central Park, which I know it does not. 
it's a, it's a pretty tough racket to get there. Uh, you know, I mean, he gets there and he's behind like a thousand people also. So there's yeah. no way he could have. There's no way he could have ever been in the lead in a race where he's behind thousands of people. Mm-hmm. All <laughs> right, so uh, you tell me, Jean Paul, Jean Paul's eight forty seven. We gotta go. Get dressed in the car. And uh, Jean Paul, Jean Paul's an he says idiot. I trusted you. And Kramer comes in, and Jerry says, uh, "What happened?" Uh, obviously, the electricity went out. And uh, Jerry says, "What happened to your mental alarm?" Kramer says, "I guess I hit the snooze." Yeah, not bad. Yeah, and again, Jerry's sort of like running around the apartment. He knocks Kramer over. So, uh, you know, uh, a lot of physical comedy going on. Yeah, here. I like frantic Jerry. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, they, they get to the marathon, and Jerry's like, make way, make way. I got a runner here. Jean-Paul Jean-Paul's happy by the end. He says, uh, Jerry, you're a wonderful driver. Yeah, he's like, it's a race. Get going. Go, 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 go. I mean, he's go. behind so many people here. I feel like it's over. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, you know, I was watching these Olympic trials, and a lot of times, because it's on a track, so if there's like 12, 15 people, even the slower races, like the 5,000, 10,000 meters, someone falls. And when they fall, even if they get up right away, they just give up. Mm. Because you, can, you can't make up that time. Wow. So a marathon is a longer race, but I do think that, like, this is, you know, there's no way he's, he's done. There's no yeah. way he could win this race starting behind all these people. Okay, well, you haven't seen Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. I, he must be the greatest marathoner of all time. <laughs> yeah. So we end up with George going to see Mr. Steinbrenner after uh, Wilhelm ends up saying that George is cracking. Uh, Steinbrenner has a, a little bit of a monologue here. He says, come in. I hear you've been cracking under the pressure. Can't cope. Can't stand the heat. Spit the bit. That's like a real famous George Steinbrenner expression. Spit the bit. Spit the bit. Yeah. I feel uh, like I yeah, hear like. Know, I don't love some of the George stuff is funny. I, George, I mean the boss, George Steinbrenner, but I don't love this one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he says, uh, basically, I've got two words for you, Costanza. Hot tub. <laughs> I got four words for you. Hot tub time machine. Whoa. Uh, so we can go <laughs> back and hang out with George Steinbrenner and not spit uh, the bit. That's right. I feel like uh, he doesn't seem like a big hot tub guy, to be honest, George. (laughs) Well, we'll talk about the scene in the hot tub at the end of the episode, which I think is also uh, pretty odd. Anyway, uh, Jerry and Elaine are at the uh, race. They're talking about I didn't say anything about the baby who did. Uh, Jerry says, maybe check with the rabbi, which is a funny callback. But then we uh, see in the episode uh, in the deleted scene that the rabbi is in the mix. Uh, yeah, right. The scene also like doesn't right doesn't totally make sense because there's no right the rabbi, the rabbi's mentioned but we didn't see him. Okay, uh, Kramer is also that uh, his hot tub never got hot, so he's trying to still drink the hot tea. Here come the marathon runners and sort of they come around the corner. Jean Paul, Jean Paul is in the lead, believe it or not, and people have these cups of water for the marathon runners, and Kramer leans in with his hot tea. And then we end up seeing uh, Jean-Paul Jean-Paul pouring uh, the hot tea on himself as he runs out of frame. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but Cousin Sal does a bit every year for the L.A. Marathon where he does this intentionally. Like he'll he'll give out like alcohol, like really like gross food that you never want to eat during a marathon. Mm -hmm. He does, you know, all these funny bits with runners. Never. It's never like the leaders. It's always like the people who are running. Yeah. You know, casual pace. But it's it's always you can check them out on YouTube. It's pretty funny. But um, do you think this was a little too telegraphed? Like you know what's coming. I know I've seen this episode a million times. So like maybe the first time I saw it, I didn't. But I think they telegraph it pretty clearly that 
Kramer is going to give him the tea that he's going to throw in his face, right? No, I, I don't mind it, but I do feel like that it is uh, really very similar to Kramer has already had a cup of hot coffee spilt on him only a couple episodes ago. And I feel like that we don't really have any sort of like callback or mention to that. I know Jerry says, hey, is that temperature in the hot tub the same as the coffee that scalded you? So we have reference that that event is canon. But, you know, I feel like that uh, I feel like we should see Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. mentioned again? You uh, want to mention for second well, time in the episode? What about seeing uh, Jackie Childs with uh, Jean-Paul Jean-Paul at the end of the oh, episode? Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, so if you get Jackie Childs in there, yeah, then, then I, yeah, I think it ties together better. That's a good point. Yeah. So, Let's rewrite this one, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, was it going to sue Kramer? I mean, maybe he should have, like, Kramer should have had a coffee from Java World, and then... <laughs> Uh, it could have been really building on this where the Java World coffee ended up burning uh, Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. Uh, that's not bad. I, I, that, that's too similar, I think. But yeah. then why is the tea? Like, the tea doesn't matter. Like, why is the tea and not coffee? Mm-hmm. Well, so, maybe yeah, I think coffee works better, probably. Maybe Kramer has one of his free cafe lattes. And, yeah, uh, that could have been mentioned. Yeah, that really said, doesn't get mentioned a lot. Yeah, I need to get my core temperature up. I mean, there's a Java World right there because that's where you know they have so many in the city. And he's drinking his cafe latte, and then uh, Jean Paul Jean Paul dumps it on his head. Yeah, I think that works better. You could, they would argue maybe that that's again. This is the last true. scene in the episode, so we really don't have time for it. But it just feels like uh, that you know this is the second time in what three episodes that somebody is uh, you know spilling hot liquid on themselves. That, yeah, I, a lot of the uh, this episode has a lot of things that we've really established are a little too similar without the direct comparison, like the alarm clock guy to. Episodes mm-hmm. that have happened in the last month. Yeah. All right. So then the final scene we see the tag at the end of the episode is George in the hot tub with George Steinbrenner. And George Steinbrenner is talking about how much he loves the hot tub. And uh, things get a little wild here in the hot tub. Um, you know, I guess that's how hot tubs tend to go. But he talks about how, you know, you got to find the right spot that right down uh, under that chicken bone. He says uh, that he tells his wife to get in there stick her thumb in there like a screwdriver. Uh, and then Mr. Steinbrenner goes into, uh, I'll tell you, you want to get something wild going in your life? You get a girl and bring her in one of these things. It's just like four shots of wild turkey. She'll think you're Hopalong Cassidy. Whoa, Hopalong. What? Do you know who Hopalong Cassidy is? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I imagine that he's some sort of a cowboy, but uh, I don't know. Does he have a reputation for being promiscuous with the ladies? Yeah, he could be a ladies' man. I'm not, I'm not sure. Hop along, Cassidy. He kept, he kept hopping along to different ladies. Uh, he is a fictional cowboy hero created in 1904 uh, with a series of popular short stories about the character. And how does he do with the females? Mm, that I don't know. That I don't know. Uh, <laughs> boy, is uh, George Steinbrenner like a, uh, a womanizer? Is he a player? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know much, uh, you know. Is George Steinbrenner a womanizer? Yeah. I mean, George Steinbrenner, I mean, he mentions his wife here in this conversation. Uh, but I don't know. Was he, does he have like a reputation with, uh, with, with uh, being uh, a real uh, Lothario? I don't know. I see. I, I don't know anything about his wife. Like, did he even have a wife at this point? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he Yeah, he did. Kids. Elizabeth Zieg. So she outlived uh, him. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I see an article from uh, now again. No, she uh, dies. I think right before he dies. The same. Okay. They died the same year. Uh, 
Let's see. Uh, a woman reveals George Steinbrenner secretly funded her childhood surgery. Well, that seems like a nice thing to do. That doesn't seem like a uh, like anything that's sort of like a uh, like a mistress or anything like that. No. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Um, let's see. Uh, George Steinbrenner's letters to a woman reveal a simple, gentle side to him. So I, I, I guess we have to find out maybe a little bit more of the backstory, the young George Steinbrenner chronicles. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I'm not really coming up with anything. <laughs> like what was going on with George Steinbrenner in a hot tub? Because maybe George Steinbrenner did not appreciate this. Yeah, I mean, he probably did. George Steinbrenner was not watching the episodes, though, I don't think. <laughs> I don't Not know, if, like from what he heard from people. All right, so maybe uh, there's some uh, maybe a Yankee fan or baseball historian uh, could maybe tell us. Or maybe a lady on. who had a little dalliance with the with the boss. Now that would be in poor taste for us <laughs> to interview one of George Steinbrenner's mistresses. <laughs> and I don't even want to imply mistress, uh, like no. uh, a a woman from uh, that George Steinbrenner may have gone in the hot tub with. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So that being said. Uh, also, uh, yeah, George Steinberg implying that you need to uh, get a woman uh, four shots of wild turkey. That's almost like uh, Cosby territory. <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a little safer than Cosby territory. Yeah, I mean it's it's <laughs> Cosby adjacent. All right. Uh, so that being said, Keith. So let's talk about uh, this episode as a whole. Uh, we talked about it a little bit. How uh, not my favorite Seinfeld episode. Uh, let's grade out the storylines here. Uh, the George stuff, I think, is all very fun. He doesn't have a ton to do in this episode, but it's you know I think that there's laughs every time he's on the screen. Uh, yeah, George is it's it's uh it's pretty good. It's not as derivative as maybe some of the other ones. I'll give George an A minus. Yeah, uh, no problem with that. Now uh, Kramer with the hot tub. Yeah, I, I think it's fine. I don't think there's one great moment, so I'll give Kramer a B plus. I think that's fine. I probably uh, I don't know about the plus, but uh, B is fine. Okay, uh, Jerry with Jean Paul. Jean Paul. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind the Jean Paul stuff. I just. I don't think there's a home run. I do like when he's frantic. Um, I don't know if it has a great end. It's a weird episode because a lot of things tie together, like the bastard thing ties together and the Jean Paul thing. Like, but they don't tie together like in one neat bow at the end, like a lot of episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to give Jerry a B. Yeah, I feel like it's more of a C to me. And Elaine, uh, Elaine, yeah, I, I do like I, I do like the scene where she figures it out. Um, you know, like the the bastard turning into the shoes. But we have two you know useless scenes before that. Like you say, the scene with the lady doesn't really do anything. So I'll give Elaine a C plus. <sighs> uh, yeah, I, I don't want to be uh, hard to on Elaine, but I'll give it a C minus. That uh, okay. really that the Petermans, the you know the stuff like the actual Jay Peterman character. I think that there are some. Some good times ahead, but I feel like just the stuff about the Jay Peterman catalog, I feel like, uh, you know, tends to be a, a long road to nowhere. And just like to keep track, because I want to track this since my my theory is that Susan is wildly overrated in terms of her impact on the season. Mm-hmm. And so uh, no Susan this episode, but really Susan impact standing at a big zero for this season so far. Impact of Susan. OK. All right. Akiva, where did this episode uh, end up for you you've tipped your hand you said it's a top 50 episode well i said no i said it's considered i think like on imdb it's definitely in the top 50 mm-hmm. at 8.9 i have it just outside the top 50 actually i have it at number 59 59 59er mm-hmm. yeah okay um i mean it feels a little high to me but i probably i probably if i had a episode list i don't think i would have it outside the top 100 but i feel like uh, i don't think it's a top half episode for me maybe an episode that works best the first time you see it 
mm. and also not if we if you're just we're watching it on TV and not with like the knowledge of like oh they should have made all these callbacks the last week then you know and that it's a little sloppy then maybe uh maybe and look what they cut out it could have been much worse this episode <laughs> all right well let's segue into our Seinfeld emails let's get the email inbox open Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com is the email address and uh Really, uh, we're at this point, we're inundated with emails every week for this show. Yeah, we're going to have to start, uh, you know, I'm going to have to start cutting emails. Not everyone's getting in the bag at this point. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bring we're, your A game. No C pluses. Right. Where do you want to start with our hot tub mailbag? Uh, I think we always start with Johnny DeSilvera. Johnny DeSilvera. He's our leadoff hitter, the Jose Reyes of the email segment. No, don't, he does not <laughs> want to be compared to Jose Reyes. He's the Cristiano Ronaldo. He would like that. Yes. <laughs> All right, who's the Astros leadoff hitter? Uh, I think uh, I think uh, Altuve, right? Not Carlos Lomez. I don't know what Car- I don't know what Carlos Lomez is up to. This year, <laughs> he used to be a leadoff hitter. All right, uh, yeah, Johnny Severo, best base dealer in baseball. Yeah, he says if Jerry's so concerned with John Paul getting a good night's rest for his marathon, why didn't he offer his own bed and take the couch and said that's a good point? Uh, yeah, I, I, that's not yeah, it's not bad. Do you ever do you ever like offer someone your bed? I, I think it's a little weird. Mm, trying to think if I ever did. I think I've been like guilted and shamed into having to offer my bed. My wife, we went we went to like someone's house years ago, and it came up for a different reason recently. And my wife pointed out it was like we we were just staying at their house. We were like we were um ha- we were hanging out with like a bunch of other couples like in the building. Yeah, and so we just we knew them like. Sort of, and we were staying at their house, but we weren't like hanging out with them. And when we went to their house for the weekend, they gave us their bedroom, and they stayed in the guest room, which yes. is a very nice gesture, but also like weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that we discussed this uh, recently, where we had uh, that uh, George's dad uh, was sleeping on the couch, and Chester wrote in to say that that would be impossible. You have to give the bed away to the uh, parents. Yeah, that's a dad. That makes more sense than some stranger, basically. Yes, right, right. Yeah, no, it's weird. It is, uh, it is odd. Uh, what are you going to do? Uh, you know, for Jean-Paul Jean-Paul, you don't want to be too comfortable, I think, if you're Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. He's pretty comfortable, Jean-Paul. He gets very comfortable, yeah. By the way, I'm wrong. Uh, George Springer leads off for the Astros. Altuve bats third. Okay, sorry about that. All right. Uh, what about Gene from Canada? Mean Gene. Uh, yes. G- Gene uh, writes in to say... That uh, as a Canadian who was a child in the 80s and a teen in the 90s, he's obligated to tell us about the famous Canadian character from the Degrassi series of shows. I assume he's talking about uh, Drake. Drake, That's yes. the only guy I know from Degrassi. Mm-hmm. Before the robot, uh, which consists, okay, watch, the, the kids of Degrassi Street, Degrassi Junior High, and so on. Okay. Derek Wheels Wheeler had a series of unfortunate events, including the death of his adoptive parents by a drunk driver. He was snubbed by his biological father. Attempted molestation by his... A, b- a bastard. Uh, attempted molestation by a stranger getting kicked out of various houses for behavior. Uh, he misspelled it with a U. People keep doing that in these emails, especially the Canadians. Uh, theft and then eventually driving drunk himself, crashing the car, killing a child and blinding a friend, blinding a friend in the crash. He was sent to prison. Hmm. Not great. Yeah. Uh, this is not Drake, who had a different no. set of wheels on, uh, on, on Degrassi. Uh, you may, of course, adopt the moniker Wheels, but should you choose to, Akiva, any Canadian born in the 80s, Probably can only picture one thing when they hear that name. And he posts a picture of uh, Derek Wheels Wheeler. Uh, it's yes. pretty great, this picture. <laughs> yes. Very uh, 80s. Okay. So Wheels <laughs> is a character. 
on uh, Degrassi, and that's uh, who people are going to compare you to. Yeah. What does Dan the Benefactor have to say? <laughs> okay. Uh, Dan the Benefactor is uh, back once again. Uh, he wants to say, uh, poor Jean-Paul, this is the treatment that uh, Keyshawn Walcott got for winning a gold medal in the Javelin in Trinidad and Tobago in 2012. Following the Olympics, Walcott was hailed as a national hero. On the 13th day of August, the day of his arrival back in Trinidad, he was declared a, a national holiday. He was awarded $150,000 in cash and given land near his hometown of Toco, a uh, luxury home in the port of Spain. In addition, uh, both the Toco Lighthouse uh, was renamed in his honor. So the question is, who had the better life, a random Team USA person who wins a gold medal in some random event, or the <laughs> Trinidad and Tobago champion uh, Kayshawn Walcott or former Met Daniel Murphy? Oh, stop it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's like, I, I always think like, there's some person, like I'm watching the gymnastics with my kids. And some girl comes in like 11th, right? A 15-year-old, and it's like, ah, by the next time, they're probably going to be too old. Your, your peak is in gymnastics is generally one Olympics. Like, why not? You know, everyone has, has some ethnicity from, from somewhere, right? Hmm. Like, why not? You know, I'm, I, could, I could compete uh, in the Olympics. They've never invited me. It's, I've kind of been snubbed, much like, uh, much like uh, 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 Wheels, Derek Wheels Wheeler, who got snubbed by his friends <laughs> and his biological father. Um, you know, if you are like the 12th best person in something, the United States, like 12th best person in a lot of events is like the 15th best in the whole world. Mm-hmm. So go to your like ancestral place. Like my grandmother's from Vienna. Like I could be on the Austrian national, you know, javelin team. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't cause I stink at javelin probably, but someone who was a good javeliner could, or like yeah. you could go like Italy or, uh, you know, I, I could do Canada also. I got a Canadian grandparent. I feel like that's what these people should be doing. You should be, you should be finding your backup country and competing there. I believe there was talk during one of the World Series of Baseball that Mike Piazza was going to play for Italy. Correct. And <laughs> the, the Israel team t- takes every Jewish player because the World Baseball Classic is not as strict with nationalities <laughs> as, as the Olympics where you have to actually have citizenship and stuff. And the World Cup, you have to have citizenship. So for the Israel team last time in the World Baseball Classic, they just took every Jewish player. Mm-hmm. They're just like they had like Sean Green on the bench. He like he yeah. hadn't played in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Green on the bench where he played. They did. I think he was like he, <laughs> even I, in he, his prime. He had four home runs in a game, Rob. And what else? <laughs> he was not a bad player until he came to the Mets. You just have a bad. Yeah. He was good on the Blue Jays. He, I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to su- suggest right. anything, but he he really uh, juiced that ball <laughs> for a few years. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just used to seeing the shell of Sean Green, which played for the 2006 and 2007 Mets. Uh, the, right, the, uh, should we go through all the the great Jewish Mets? What about David Newhan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, let's let's uh, pick up with uh, Max the Millennial. All right. He, hey, Robin Wheels. The, the wheels are catching on. Everyone's writing in yes. Robin Wheels. And you need a nickname, by the way, now. It can't just be Robin Wheels. It's got to be like, you know, whatever, you, whatever your nickname is. Wheels. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all, all Max could think of is when he's rewatching the hot tub scene where George meets with the Houston Astros guys was Russell Hans going, I don't even like the Boston Red Sox. I don't even Astros, like baby. the Boston Red Sox. The Houston Astros, baby. Yeah. And for the non-survivor listeners, it's just a survivor line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also, he volunteers to be our millennials correspondent. Oh. He says, quoting Seinfeld, other 18-year-olds, wears on you when nobody gets the references. So he's 18 years old. That's not bad. Wow. Okay. I love it. We got some young listeners. We got we to gotta keep it clean now, Rob. 
Yes. Okay. Could have well, minors listening to this show. Uh, Max the Millennial, welcome aboard. Very happy to have you as one of our team, our ever-growing team of correspondents. And uh, I think that we might need to get uh, – Max, let us know whenever there's a millennial take on these things. Uh, right now, Max isn't even listening. He's too busy playing that Pokemon, probably. <laughs> well, can you listen to a podcast while you're chasing Pokemon? You have to listen I, to like, Pokemon music. I, you'll find out. You're going to play it next week. You're gonna, okay. I'm going to give you my password. You're going to play okay. it. <laughs> That's great. That's great. All right. Uh, what about uh, Lindsay, who says, uh, how long could that muffin have been in the microwave and be burning already? Elaine was only away from it for like 20 seconds. Yeah. Uh, can Chester time the time the mu- muffin was in the microwave? Yeah, next week, Chester, time the, the microwave muffin. This is like when Kramer left and was out of the contest like 47 seconds later. We timed yeah, impossible, one. impossible. <laughs> All right. Uh, Lindsay says also, have you ever slept through something important? I'm one of those people who wakes up every hour when I need to get up early. The most recent example was going to a Newark airport after the live know-it-alls uh, back in April. My flight was at 730, so I had to be there at 530. Fortunately, it was really fun because I got zero sleep, but worth it. Yeah, I can't when I have to get when I have to get up early and I'm relying on myself, you know, for one of these like super early like airplane type things. I don't really get a night's sleep, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm waking up every half hour and like sweating, like oh my gosh, I missed it. I think probably the most important thing that I overslept or like the worst oversleep I have on my record is that uh, this is back in 2005 during the production of the cult classic film The Scorned. Uh, I had been like a lot of early days of going to the set for the movie and uh, I was drinking like a Weight Watchers shake because I didn't want to make a breakfast. I felt like that was easier than than eating something before I went. I could just like drink like a shake and I was like leaving these shakes out every day on my counter. And then um, one day I had like this horrific scene and I was like not in my house the whole day. I would like wake up very early, go to the set and then come back late at night. And just go to bed and wake up to go in the morning. And I had like this uh, uh, horrific moment where uh, like my house was like infested with fruit flies. They were just everywhere all of a sudden. Like uh, just everywhere. They were everywhere. And and so I had like a bug bomb. (laughs) Not a bomb like Kramer used from the maestro. uh, And not a bomby bomb. But uh, so I like set off like uh, like uh, like bug spray, like uh, much like what happened to Kramer when he was in the apartment with the pesticide that whole time. And so the next day, the guy who was picking me up, like I just completely like overslept, like uh, like, I was like gassed from the pesticide fumes to kill all the fruit flies. And I was just like hours late to uh, get to the set. Uh, All right. So that wasn't an okay. That's an oversleep. And did you get in trouble? Uh, I didn't didn't get in trouble. Is that why the movie bombed, Rob? Yes, yes. It was bug bombed. Yeah. Oh, boy. That way I would have saved it that day. Were you going to go in and burn the script? Was that your plan? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't bring on it. I've never seen it, so I'm sure it was great. Yes. I'm sure it would have made the top 100. Uh, Top 100 uh, uh, movies of all time? Oh, for sure. Yes. It was a TV movie, so I don't think it was eligible, right? It was, did Uh, it ever... Was it a was it a actual did it air in a movie theater? Uh, it did once, but it was because we paid a movie theater to show it. So but we that's could what have like all the movies do to try and get nominated for Oscars, right? You, you like even if it's not really a big movie, you get you get one screen and you're yeah. eligible for all. Like you know, you can't you're not Razzie eligible if you don't. No, I don't think so. No. Well, you don't uh, win any Razzies, right? No, no, no. I we were not even in contention. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, what about Dr. Thomas? Ooh, haven't heard from Dr. Thomas in a while. Uh, Dr. Thomas writes in, he says, Kramer's lowered core temperature, or hypothermia, is definitely a likely outcome from lying cold water all night. However, his portrayal of hypothermia is not very accurate. Hypothermia can quickly become serious and life-threatening. Kramer, on the other hand, doesn't appear too unwell. It's just cold. It seems he only has a mild case and should recover much faster than the episode shows. Okay. Mild hypothermia. Still sounds pretty bad. Nobody wants mild hypothermia. Okay. Uh, What about Caleb from Atlanta? What does he say? Uh, It says, uh, also, as a Southerner who still lives at home with his mother, I was wondering if any New York apartment owner or landlord would allow a hot tub in the middle of an apartment ever. I don't know. uh, Chester, I hope he doesn't mind me speaking out of school here. He posted some picture on Facebook this week, but it was on a porch. He had Hmm. some sort of like, it was a pool, I think, not a hot tub. Yeah. I would have to think in any New York City apartment, I think, you know, you sign this lease, and I think that one of these things has to be. What if you you own? What if you own? Uh, I guess so. Like Donald Trump can't have a hot tub in his like giant apartment. Well, he can do whatever he wants, I think, from what I've seen. But <laughs> they don't even let you have a water bed in most apartments. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're pretty strict. I mean, you could also get away with it as long as you don't invite the super in ever. Yeah, or the super Nazi. That's oh, next boy. week. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I feel like that in most leases that I've signed for apartments, I feel like that they say like, okay, you don't have a water bed, right? I never, I never noticed that. But also, my wife yeah. signs that stuff. But I'm I, no really... Hopalong Cassidy with a uh, waterbed. <laughs> I think the, I think the Hopalong Cassidys uh, were in the '80s. I feel like now, if you have a waterbed, uh, no woman has ever seen it. Yeah, now it's like, oh, what's this? <laughs> Wait, why is it so weird? I don't if think the millennials. Real... I don't think the millennials are chasing after the waterbed fellas. Yeah, if you were a real swinging uh, Gen Xer, I think then maybe you had a waterbed. I'm still not sure what I am. I'm really on the border between millennial and, and Gen X. But you're not a waterbed guy. No, 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 no. You have to be a little older. You have to be older than you. Like, you have to be, like, at least 40s to be a waterbed guy, I think. <laughs> yeah. Like, unironically. Can we get a waterbed correspondent? Is yeah, if someone has a waterbed bed? or, like, had one growing up, let you write in and let us know yeah. all about your waterbed. Casper is it, it not never making ends a waterbed. Well. No. Yeah. <laughs> if you call up, like, uh, can I get a Casper waterbed, please? Um, yeah. I think... Yeah, the thing, like I, I do think that anyone with a waterbed, the waterbed never ends well, right? It always like pops. It's never like okay, I you know I'm getting rid of it. I've had it for a few years. It always ends with the waterbed leaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's no good end to the waterbed life. It's never no happy like, ending to the waterbed. Lived a long story. life, and now we're throwing it out in the yeah. trash. I think that uh, the all all the happiness I think comes from the present of the waterbed, not in the the ultimate ending of it. No doubt, no doubt. Okay, all right. All right uh, what about Amir? Amir writes in, he says, the entire Jean-Paul storyline, it's centered around ensuring that he wakes up in time for the race. He doesn't understand. Didn't we just see last week that Elaine used the wake-up service? Wouldn't that obviously be her best plan in terms of ensuring that Jean-Paul's awake on time? Even if she doesn't use James anymore. I was right, that was his name. There must be plenty of other wake-up service companies. Yeah, we said that, but that's a good call. Uh, Amir says, this episode feels like the start of a big shift where the writers have strange and absurd things installed in Kramer's apartment. Once the writers open that valve, no pun intended, the, the storylines just kept flowing. Okay, and he lists them. It's pretty good. The, Amir does a good job here. Mm-hmm. Uh, hot tub. Hot tub in his living room. The yeah. apology. Garbage disposal in the shower. Merv Griffin show. Merv Griffin show set. In the abstinence. Smoking lounge in his room. Reverse peephole, a reverse peephole on his door. The Serenity Now, a screen door on his door. The package, he has a photography studio in his living room. And the voice, he's got unseen chicken wire. Great list by Amir there. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. They really do. I do think, like, I think that the show, you know, 
the show really people like to say like oh you know it slips once Larry leaves and I don't believe that at all I think season eight a lot of people think is the best season season nine is really good for the most part but I do think that just the actual like B and C like gag plot lines we're already seeing they're having trouble not over not like repeating already right Mm -hmm. yeah but it is it's tough to come up with like 180 goofy things that Kramer does yeah I so mean, because you have will to come be up with yeah, something for every character. Right. It's 180 episodes times four plot points. It's tough. Yeah. Like, is Jerry's the only one where it's like, okay, well, if I don't have anything to do, I'm not going to quit the show. Right. <laughs> right. Jerry is, he's, he's fine. <laughs> I'm not going to have a tantrum if I don't have a plot line this week. Right. I, you know, I don't know if Elaine has a tantrum either. Like, we, we know about, we know about Michael Richards and Jason Alexander's tantrums. We never really hear about Julia's tantrums. No, we have not heard that. All right, and then uh, this final email comes to us from Level 43 Pokemaster, Alexander Chester. Now, did you add that or he did? Oh, no, I, I'm, he's getting an insult for every episode for the rest of the series. <laughs> he just, but, I, had one, I had one request from him, which is not to, uh, not to make it imply that he's a racist. Yes. Because I know, because I, I had one this week, I had one last week, and it was so bad that I didn't say it. And then when I said it, he's like, oh, no, I would have like gone insane had you said that one. Okay. Um, so because oh, so there's you're... a running joke. Okay. Because he's not a racist, but I feel like there's a running joke between this podcast and the other podcast that he's like a racist. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he's yeah. not, just because it's funny yes. to say that. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't um, like that. Okay. Well, uh, that doesn't sound that funny to me, Akiva. Okay. 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 <laughs> all right. But uh, he loves Pokemon. He's, he's all about the Pokemon. I didn't know that. He really is all about Pokemon? I'm not sure. I haven't asked him. Okay. Seems, seems like, like something it. he might be. Yeah, how about this? If he played it once, he's like number one in the world in Pokemon right now. That's what yeah. I would say. Like, if he's played it once, Why? he took the day off today to play it. He really is going to uh, just be giving back all that time that he was getting from not having Game of Thrones podcasts to listen to. I think, well, he's, he's backed up. Zero sum game. <laughs> well, first of all, do all, like, you don't podcast during the offseason. I'm sure some of his, like, do occasional podcasts right. during the offseason. Right. That, that's not my bread and butter podcast where no, I do, but I, I do he, survive like, podcasts in the offseason. Yeah. He had, like, 30 because he was doing, listening to 10 Game of Thrones podcasts a week, and they each had, like, two to three episodes. And now I'm sure he's down to, like, five Game of Thrones podcasts a week that are still okay. airing. All right, uh, so Chester writes in to say, uh, forget about the fact that he's not busy at work. Why would someone go from Yankee Stadium to a diner on the Upper West Side for lunch? At a minimum, that's 45 minutes each way and at least two trains. He's got no work. Why wouldn't he? Yeah. Then (laughs) he adds in, uh, Elaine says this is John Paul's first race in three years. How did he qualify for the New York Marathon? The New York Marathon, I think anyone can run if you sign up. The Boston Marathon is much more... Like, they don't have the same 30,000 spots as the New York Marathon, so you need a qualifying time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the New York Marathon, you don't need a qualifying time. I think you can just sign up. All right. Uh, Chester also says, the New York Marathon is on a Sunday. That means Kramer fell asleep in the hot tub on Friday night. He woke up on Saturday morning, ordered the industrial strength heat pump, and it arrived that very same Saturday. What is this, Amazon Prime Instant? Oh, boy. Um... I don't know that. Uh, why does he say that uh, the he fell asleep on a Friday night? I mean, do well, we have that dated? Where I mean, uh, George is uh, coming from lunch, right? To the work. coffee shop, right? So I feel like that that would imply that it's a weekday, right? Yeah, could this have been Thursday night and they just kind of skip a day? I mean, the scene where like, can't they Kramer are- just still have that cold two days later? 
Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good. It's a good question. Uh, it's possible. It is possible that in the. Cause I, I don't know. I it, I don't know how well it's laid out, but it is possible that it goes from Friday to Sunday. But is that really your biggest problem? Like he couldn't have gotten some. Like maybe that store is open on Saturday and they deliver. Like is that the biggest deal in the world that he got a heat pump on Saturday? I don't know. Uh, Chester then says, uh, "Hotel Bedford in New York is in Midtown near Grand Central. The race starts in Staten Island. What happened to staying in a hotel near the starting line? What kind of hotel do you think you're getting in Staten Island on ten minutes notice on on the night <laughs> before the marathon? Sure, you find something. Uh, I don't think it's the type of hotel that John Paul wants to stay in. Yeah, although there's no app in 95. I think you got to like start to call around. Yeah, of course. Again, and it's also the weekend of the marathon. Yeah, so it's hard to get a hotel. It's hard to get hard a hotel, to get hotel that hotel. weekend. Okay. All right, Keeve. Yeah. That's it for the hot tub. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week, what are we talking about? We got the soup Nazi. Yes. How about that? Yeah. We made it. What a milestone uh, on this trip across Seinfeld. Yeah, 65 episodes left. Uh, I believe the most famous one next week. Okay, there you go. Uh, very excited about all that. What's the hashtag for today? Mm. Hashtag Carlos Lomez. Okay, Carlos Lomez. That's not bad. Okay, you got anything better? No, I don't have anything. Yeah, I, <laughs> everything I have is bastards and SOBs. You can't put that in there. I got a hashtag Marathon Con. Okay, what do you like better, Carlos Lomez or Marathon Con? I like Lomez uh, so much, so I yeah. feel like... The uh, name Lomez is good. I want to I track this Lomez the rest of the way, see what, yeah. what he gives us. He's the, yes. he's the late era Bob Sacamano. There you go. Uh, and uh, Carlos Lomez reminds me of how uh, Wilmer Flores is still a Met. The cry, Wilmer Flores crying in the field. He's, now the, best, he's the best player on the team right now. Yes. <laughs> yes, I love Wilmer Flores. Yeah, how could you not? Yeah. Uh, all right. Then uh, what else? Uh, thanks to Scott St. Pierre, who always uh, edits down this, uh, edits out all the egregious mistakes uh, that we at least are aware of during the recording of this. Then the other egregious mistakes you guys tell us about. Uh, I just like egregious Philbin. <laughs> <laughs> is that a former hashtag? That is a former hashtag, yeah. <laughs> I like the, uh, Christine. Uh, there's a few people who are like binging the show and send us the hashtags when they're done. And I like seeing the old hashtags like, oh, yeah, I, I remember that from 100 episodes ago. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so that's from uh, Christine uh, Raddies. I, I did think it was Radice. <laughs> it's not Radice. Radice. <laughs> okay. So uh, and uh, there you go. Uh, anything else, Keith? No, I'm excited to talk about the food, the soup Nazi. I feel like, and we may have another surprise next week for the uh, listeners. So many surprises. All right. So if you haven't subscribed yet, what the hell are you waiting for? Go ahead, subscribe to the Seinfeld Recap Podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Any uh, ratings or rankings you want to uh, impart on us before we go? I have. And while I, while I call it up, I, I ran into somebody who I had never met before, who listens to the 32 Fans podcast. Oh, yes. And they were, and they were saying, like, oh, I left you a rating. Or so, I forget, and someone's like, oh, you should rate the other one. Or something is like, oh, I can't rate the other one. I've never listened to it. I'm like, how honest are you that you can't just give it five stars? Just go mm-hmm. on your freaking iTunes. No, well, five stars. I always implore an honest review on iTunes. That's what so, I ask for. So we have very honest listeners. Yes. Or, or in that case, a non-listener. <laughs> yes. Okay, so we have... Uh, we got, three, we got three quick reviews here. Jane2520 says, such a fun f- podcast. So fun hanging out and unpacking with these guys. Hey, look, please disregard Akiva's outlook and perspective of the 90s. I'm probably 10 years older than Akiva and totally laugh out loud when he speaks of the 90s decade as a whole. He thinks of the Seinfeld era as being akin to the 1800s. No joke. <laughs> Hammer time lasts through the whole Seinfeld run for Mr. Wienerker. 
So just see the humor in it. It's hilarious. And set aside everything that follows the phrase back then. Rob is absolutely delightful. The podcast is awesome, funny, and more thorough than you might have ever wanted. But it's so worth it and so fun. Check it out. Thanks, Jane. Gen X Jane. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Great podcast from Tommy Gleeskleese. He writes in, funny podcast about a funny show. The yeah. only thing I laugh out loud to when I'm alone. But maybe that says something about me and not the podcast. <laughs> Who knows? It's pretty good. Yeah. And uh, Charlie2298A uh, says, even if you don't watch Seinfeld, you'll get 60 to 90 minutes of laughter and entertainment from the banter of Robin Akiva every week. Tune in and find out what everyone else is laughing about. Now, this show is generally two hours, but Charlie only gets 60 to 90 minutes of laughter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> last week's show was only 90 minutes. Today That's we, true. Uh, we weren't under the gun of like having to go to see uh, fireworks like uh, the last episode. That's right. And no complaints, by the way, that we had a 90-minute episode last week. Yes. Um, the, but, but he gets – maybe he listens on double speed, and that's how it's 60 to 90 minutes. That's possible. But, okay. But maybe, maybe 30 of the minutes don't do it for Charlie 298A. All right, Keeve. Uh, great job as per usual. You could hear more from Keeve and from Chester, the Poker Master, on the 32 Fans podcast. You could search for it in iTunes. Uh, what's coming? Are you still counting down NBA? Yeah, Chester really wants to do the top 100 uh, NBA players of all time. How many uh, shows is that going to be? It's just two. We, it's one just last two? week, one this week, and then we're done. Okay. I need, I need ideas to get us to, uh, to football season. <laughs> Send me ideas. Okay. Top 32 rejected ideas. How about that? That's like a David Letterman sketch. <laughs> but I'm sure that Chester has a list of ideas that you said no to. Uh, it's more him saying no to my ideas. Okay. Wow. I do want to do my least favorite food list. I, I, I think that really should come in at one point this month. Okay. Uh, th- is that going to be the surprise for the soup Nazi episode? No, that's, that would be, that would be a bad surprise. I think we could okay. do better than that. All right. All right. Uh, very excited to get into the soup Nazi coming up next week. Looking forward to reading your comments on postshowrecaps.com. Have a good one, everybody. Take care. Bye.